Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Monday? I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. It is our Sunday baseball conversation with Colin Brister. Ole Miss takes two of three at Kentucky. Um, kind of a mission accomplished series for Ole Miss. Figured out, a, I think, a decent bit about their rotation. Dylan Delucia was terrific on Friday night, and they got pretty good starting pitching throughout the course of the rest of the weekend. I think their starters spanned like 16 innings and only allowed one earned run. So that'll get it done. We talked all uh, all things offense. It struggles. Peyton Chatagnier getting a couple of days off. Everything uh, that entailed the weekend to what we learned about this club. And then a look around the SEC, because I think that's an important part of this conversation, and particularly how you view Ole Miss's series against Tennessee and where they stack up against the rest of the conference. So we got into a lot of different stuff. Pack show for you. We are in the middle of the uh, heat of SEC baseball season, so certainly a good time of year. But before we get to that, I want to remind you the podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. March Madness is winding down. Hopefully you took Skybox to profit. Hopefully you're not having the man text you this morning asking if you can uh, square up and you're instead texting him where your supplementary income is. March Madness may be winding down, but you can still hit him up for the national championship game if you're listening to this on Monday morning before the uh, game. Check out uh, all of their packages and picks on that. I saw they cashed in on a couple overs this weekend, but even when that's winding down, you got NBA playoffs, MLB, the Masters, all kinds of great stuff on the site at Skybox. Check them out at skyboxsportspicks.com. NASCAR getting heated up. The Skybox NASCAR guys over there um, making it happen. So check them out. They're going to have a picks package to fit your price range. It's month-long, season-long, sports-centric, all sports. I'd recommend just going with the year-long all sports pass. It's going to pay for itself and then some. But whatever the package you choose, use the promo code RIPPEE, R-I-P-P-E-E, and that'll get you 20% off. So, skyboxsportspicks.com. Check them out. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg. Rippy Wright subscribers. That's rippywrights.substack.com. Type in your email. You get a free newsletter from me three to five times a week. Plus discounted meats. Right now it's a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. That's one hell of a way to kickstart your grilling weekend. Then go in and find all your own favorites at LB's. If you listen to the Friday show, Greg, whatever you want to throw on the grill, Greg will help you find that to throw on the grill because he wants to make your grilling experience great. Whether it's the uh, Lane Train special bacon wrap filet. Uh, I like the filet burgers, all kinds of delicious sausage. You heard Greg talking about the uh, Flamin' Hot Cheeto and Funyun sausage. They can get pretty inventive with those. So go in there, find all your own favorites. LB's University Avenue. Oxford's so lucky to have a place like LB's. He wants to make your grilling experience great. As the weather warms up and it becomes more of a uh, grilling season, throw something outside, watch the baseball game, whatever it is you like to do. Throw something on the grill. Greg's going to help you do that better than anywhere else. Check him out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, here is Colin Brister on Ole Miss's road series win against Kentucky. All right, we now welcome on Rippy Wright's baseball correspondent, Colin Brister. Ole Miss takes two of three from Kentucky and Lexington in a series that I wouldn't necessarily call a thing of beauty, but um, overall I think a pretty encouraging weekend on a lot of fronts for Ole Miss. But uh, kind of bottom line, this felt like mission accomplished for them, as we talked about on Monday, um, or excuse me, on Thursday, like good teams go and win this series, and how would this team respond? And they responded with two wins. 
if you did, if Ole Miss had started um, with with Kentucky and Auburn and then gotten swept by Tennessee, I feel like the mood would just be different because everybody would realize like, oh, Tennessee's really, really good. Um, no, like Ole Miss was impressive this weekend to me. Um, they they won two different types of baseball games. Do they play well on Saturday? No. Um, but I, I thought this was a big weekend. I, look, Ole Miss is probably a game away from where they probably needed to be after nine games. But, man, when you look at what happened with Tennessee and Nashville this weekend, like I don't know how you get, get overly upset at this team anymore for what happened last weekend. Yeah, no, it's a good point because you talked about with them starting – if they had started against Auburn – and Kentucky, like, would it be a different story? Then they got swept by Tennessee. Because it's also, like, as we, we're now three weeks into this thing and we're actually learning more about what the rest of the league is, Tennessee included, um, we can get to them a little bit more at the end when we bounce around the SEC. But, like, they just walked in and kind of dominated Vanderbilt for three games. And we brought up the possibility of do we look on Thursday, do we look up in, you know, four weeks and tennis, it's Tennessee and then everyone else in the SEC. I think that's already the case. I don't think we needed to wait one week perhaps. Um, yeah. So. What a dominant start by them. Good Lord. Yeah. I think I saw the uh, second best SEC start ever, ever, like a 90s Florida team started 10-0. and um, Yeah, they're absurd. I don't – I mean, look, it's way too early to give them the national title. But if you said, hey, you have to pick the national champion this year, I don't know how you could uh, pick anybody but them right now. It does. It feels like even just countrywide, them and everyone else. And, look, it's a long season, right? You can have injuries. Guys can – like, you can go through slumps. Uh, I don't necessarily see this team slumping it. I guess my point being is, look, a lot can happen um, over the course of uh, over the course of a season. But uh, it would be helpful to see them lose. Just, could, could <laughs> you be shown the blueprint? Could they literally lose well, a game? They've played like one close game. I was say, they they've gotten tested either. Well, they got tested last Sunday in Oxford, and that's kind of it. <laughs> I saw a stat today, one of the Baseball America guys, I think I maybe had someone else. I apologize if I don't, don't remember this exactly who had had it. They, uh, they have 27 wins. They're 27 and one. In 17 of those 27 wins, they have given up two runs or less. Yeah, it's not fair. I mean, they have dudes that just throw, and, and the, the lineup was silly last year, and now they've upgraded the pitching staff. But, uh, it's an unfair Tennessee team. But, like, I mean, just tying that with Ole Miss, it's like, you look at last weekend, obviously, Ole Miss – did Ole Miss play well? No, they didn't. But, frankly, Ole Miss swung it better than any of the other teams Tennessee has played thus far. Um, I just think at this point you probably just give a lot of credit to Tennessee, especially when you see what Ole Miss has done in the in the weekends, you know, the, around the Tennessee series. You ready for this? Next up on Undisputed, did Tennessee do Ole Miss a favor? <laughs> and I, uh, okay, I will go full – Full, uh, I won't go full takesman on that. I won't really put my chest into that. But I do wonder, you know, with them getting beat the way they get get beat last weekend, does Mike go completely from scratch and do they have this kind of pitching weekend? Or do they – if they lose, a, like, two out of three, do they stick with the status quo, maybe alter it slightly? Do you think there's a complete, like, mindset change in what we saw on the pitching staff this weekend if Ole doesn't get beat like that was the uh, serious way to put it? Uh, no, it's a really good way because, you know, what, what you thought was going to happen was after the uh, Auburn Auburn series where they didn't pitch it very well, you thought the beer shake up there, and there really wasn't outside of, you know, Doherty and Diamond just switching days. Um, so, no, it's it's a really good question, and we'll never know the answer to it. But um, if you're an Ole Miss fan after this weekend, you're, you're thankful that they did because I'll be honest, um, I think Ole Miss has its rotation now. Now, look, can it blow up next weekend at Alabama? Sure. Um 
But Kentucky's not a bad baseball team. Uh, you know, that's a team that took two from Georgia last weekend, and, and Georgia sweeps Florida uh, this weekend. And, and, you know, it's a team that took two from TCU earlier in the year. It's not a bad baseball team. And Ole Miss was able to really pitch it well on Friday and on Sunday. So, um, you know, I, I think Ole Miss has its rotation for at least a, few, a week or two, and you can kind of see how it rolls. I think we both kind of always said, we're you know, if you give Mike time to figure out the rotation, we probably anticipate that he will. Um, and at least for a weekend, it looks like he maybe has figured out one. Yeah, I think you're you're right in that sense. That's actually what I was going to ask you. Uh, at some one of the points in the podcast here was, do you think they run it the exact same next weekend in terms of starters? And it sounds like you think that is the case. Yeah, I mean, um, I'd have to go check because I'll be honest, I wasn't able to watch a ton on Saturday. Uh, but I don't think Elliott gave up but one earned. Is that is that accurate? And then Delusia gives up none. Um, not earned. I think he gave up a run. I don't believe it was earned. And then uh, you know, both of Elliott's runs were unearned. He actually did not give okay. up an earned run. Okay. And then, you know, Washburn gives up the one earned a day on the homer. Um, I don't know how you look at this weekend and, and think that your best course action is to not run it back. Um, I'm interested to see who starts on Tuesday uh, against Southern Miss. I believe that game is in Pearl. I could be incorrect on that, but I believe that game is in Pearl. Yes, trust um, in Pearl. So – you know, I, I don't know how you don't run it back the same way. I think Gaddis showed this weekend, too, that he may be a guy that can provide you some quality outings out of the bullpen um, from a left-handed, you know, perspective, whereas Elliott may be the guy that's more ready to go lengthy innings in the SEC. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point on the Gaddis part of it, too. I'm with you for the record in terms of them running it back the exact same way next weekend at home against Alabama because – yeah, the Saturday game got away from them late, but I didn't think Hunter Elliott was terrible by any stretch. And then honestly, the Jack Washburn part of it, he was really good today. And that, like, I don't, this is going to sound dumb, but it just looked more natural. Him as a starter, or excuse me, it, just him sure. in rotation. Like, I don't know why, but it looked a lot more natural than it had been maybe in a first couple midweeks. Certainly that night um, against Southeast Louisiana, where he wasn't terrible, but I don't know why. It seems like he's maybe kind of bucking that reliever mindset a little bit that they were trying to kind of kind of pull him out of and make him a starter. It just kind of makes sense that he's one of the weekend guys, and particularly their Sunday guy. I don't really know any other way to explain it. And then Dylan DeLucia is probably where we should start. Um, he was phenomenal on Friday night, and it felt like it came in a really important spot because in terms of starting pitching, this team was really in a bad way. And, yes, it was early in the season, and, yes, like, could they fix it? But it wasn't – it wasn't even just that. It was just the gap was so large between Ole Miss and Tennessee on Friday nights, like in terms of the arms. And they hadn't had a performance like that. And I thought it came in a really important spot for him to be as dominant as he was. I, it was certainly a dosage of confidence in, in terms of when you're looking at this team and trying to like prognosticate where they could go. Um, and it had, to be a, uh, it had to be a confidence boost for a team that wasn't playing very good and wasn't very good offensively. He kind of saved their ass in more ways than one. Um, yeah, no, I think that's really going to put a look. They had to have somebody on Friday night just from a logistics standpoint go in and give some innings yep. um, and not run the bullpen in the ground. Um, and he did that and was was able to, you know, uh, keep uh, keep Kentucky at bay. And if you go back and look, when you consider all, when you have all things considered, uh, he wasn't very bad against Tennessee um, in that extended outing. Um, I think it's a fair – I think outside of Brandon Johnson, look, I know statistics may not back this up, but I think he may be your most SEC-ready starter right now. Um, and, and, and he threw like it on Friday. 
from from when I say most SEC ready starter, I just mean from a battle tested standpoint. Because um, you know he had that extended outing against Auburn. It, it uh, I don't know. It's I thought he was really good. I think he's got the mindset more than anything to, to go on Friday nights where stuff doesn't really get to him. Because, frankly, if stuff got to Dylan DeLucia, if things bothered him, um, like it may may some others on the staff, then he would already be in the woods because he had some really unfortunate luck at the beginning of the year that they kind of inflated an ERA that was kind of unfair to him. Um, so I, I really like him on Friday nights. Now, look, is he going to be a top half of the league Friday night guy? No, but I also think, like, when you – look at Friday night guys outside of maybe Tennessee um, and, and you grade everything on a curve considering what, what is on Friday nights this year. Um, he's perfectly adequate assuming this offense gets to where I think it will be. Yeah. I I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that one as well. And you know, he, so he goes, I, I was just going to read his line really quick. He was six and two thirds. He allowed one earned run, gave up three hits, struck out five and walked one. When he exited the mound on Friday night, he was the holder of the two longest outings by an Ole Miss pitcher in SEC play, and that was his first start. That's usually not a great place to be, but, you know, he was the only one – Like he's still the only one, I think, that's gone six innings in an SEC game, and he's done it twice. The second one was in relief. You're right, he wasn't bad against Tennessee, when you talk, particularly when you talk about grading on a curve. What I think he gave up, like – he threw, like, 99 pitches, gave up five runs – on like five hits or four hits or something like that. But like yeah. even what Tennessee did to the rest of the pitching staff, like that was uh, <laughs> it's better okay. than those, to use a uh, famous golf uh, announcing phrase there. But yeah, he, I don't know. He was tremendous and that stuff really plays. And you talk about the confidence he has about him too, but it feels like very Friday night stuffish as well. Like he kind of has sure. the, the tools and you talked about the battle tested part, but I think he's you know maybe well, more well equipped to do what he did on Friday night than maybe we had thought originally because when the lineup card got put out on, or when he announced the rotation, I guess, on Thursday that we'd recorded Wednesday night, I did not have him as the Friday night guy. If you'd have told me he started like game two or something, that would have made sense. And I'd be like, okay, I could see it. But like, you didn't have that in the cards, did you? And I think being no. deserves some credit for that. No, Mike, Mike deserves a ton of credit for that. Um, look, he, he, I think Mike looked at it and said, this is the guy that's been extended more than anything, anybody else. Um, he's the guy that can eat up some innings on Friday. And, and he let him roll, and he had a really good outing, um, I think. But I think it also, when you look at it, outside of Delusia, and I'm being dead serious here, outside of Delusia on Friday night going into the series, who was your only other option on, to, to put out there on a Friday night? I guess Brandon Johnson. Who has not started since – junior college I don't believe he started any games last year so correct you know it, it, I guess when we say it out loud it maybe not be it may not be the most surprising thing in the world if you had told me I will say this if you had told me on Wednesday hey it's not going to be Brandon Johnson on Friday night I would have said I, I, I think Delusia probably would have entered my mind at that point um but I, I just from you know Mike gave that long quote after the after the game against uh North Alabama and he just kind of thought you know he's, he's going to get his best guys in there and um, but credit to him for, for trusting Delusia and, you know, Johnson gets the, the final six outs of that game. Um, you know, you talk about giving credit to Mike, give him a lot of credit there too. He knew, I think Mike knew if, Hey, if I can get this to the eighth inning, um, we're going to score a run and, and Johnson's going to shut it down. And, and Johnson was really, really, really good again on Friday night. Yes, he was. He was, he was, uh, He's put together, like, in terms of the bullpen, like, he has by far the kind of two, three most dominant relief performances 
um, of the year, I think. You could probably just put that on the pitching staff as a whole. I know Gaddis was pretty good against UCF in that game, too. But he uh, he's looked every bit as advertised every time he's gone back there. Yeah. And I guess if Ole Miss does have the ability to keep him back there, you know, I guess you could say they're a better team for it. Um, I thought they might try him out as a starter. But, hey, if you're able to get to him in situations like that, then you can leave him back there. The problem was is he was going to have nothing to close um, if the yeah. pitching had kept up the way it was. And, and I still do wonder, like today, I, I just wonder sometimes if you're not getting the most value out of him just because at times your offense is really, really good. And we'll get to the offense and kind of its struggles the first two games here in a little bit, I'm sure. But um, I do wonder, like, he, he's still at the end of the day only threw two meaningful innings this weekend, or he only threw two innings at all this weekend. So I do kind of wonder if you have to – still consider like how do we get the most value out of this cat when he's not throwing that many games or the week because if you remember taylor broadway threw a heck of a lot of meaningful innings last year right injury he that was it, or, that's actually not even completely fair it wasn't even the hoagland thing once the bullpen went to hell in early april last year it yeah, was just i don't the ball. Care, get however many outs yeah just take the ball kid <laughs> so I just do wonder if, if they have to, you know, still kind of consider how they're going to get Brandon Johnson the most the, the most high leverage innings of the weekend. Because I'm sure if you ask Mike, um, he would readily admit that, that their biggest key to success or their biggest path to success doesn't involve Brandon Johnson throwing one and two innings on a weekend. Yeah, I think so, too. And I wrote on the Friday newsletter, like, do they, does it still get to that point where you have Johnson in the rotation? Like, I kind of leaned yes. And I guess I maybe still – probably lean yes but like I don't I guess I don't know what that looks like now I guess that would take someone in the middle to struggle that's Hunter Elliott probably struggling um yeah. or I guess Washburn would be and then you mix it up but yeah I think it probably still gets there but you're right he only threw two meaningful innings this weekend but he was terrific they closed out a close game and when you're talking about the strategy part of it um with Mike he sold out for that win on Friday because he went to John Gaddis who I think only threw five pitches but Gaddis comes in there in a big spot in relief of Dylan Delushka and gets, uh, gets out of a two-on, one-out jam, and then Johnson comes in. But, like, it was a tie game when Johnson entered the game, and I was like, oh, man, if Johnson's going to go multiple innings and they don't come out with this with the win, uh, like, I guess the rest of the weekend set up a hell of a lot uh, a hell of a lot more daunting for Ole Miss. He certainly went so, on Friday, and credit to him, it worked. So, a little context. We were playing a baseball game on Friday night, and uh, we scored 17 in the first inning. So, I might have flipped the, flipped the game on at that point. Uh, we're back on and and so i i see the left-hander on the mound and i just assumed that it was hunter elliott so you you could imagine my surprise when i get on rubble grove after the game and see that that uh <laughs> elliott is starting on saturday i'm like excuse me <laughs> I, just, I saw this kid it turns out it was actually gaddis um who was really good but you know look i think i th here's the reality with this team and, and Ole Miss's offense the first two games this weekend wasn't particularly good but I, I think this gives a little line of thinking into, into how Mike's approaching this team. He went to Brandon Johnson in the eighth and ninth inning because he believed his offense was going to score um, because he believes in this offense. Now, is, is there some issues with offense and then what happened in the first two games? Maybe. But Mike Bianco believed this offense would figure out a way to score a run and that Brandon Johnson would get six outs. Both of those things turned out to be correct. Um, no, it was a root canal for Ole Miss to score that run. Um but, but credit to Aiden Leatherwood for getting the big single after two pretty bad at-bats. Um, you know, and, and they got it done. I, look, this team is never going to – look, it was a good weekend on the mound. 
but it, it's never going to be a team that's based around pitching. This offense is going to have to continue to swing it like it did on Sunday um, if Ole Miss is going to get to where it wants to be. But for a weekend, it was nice to see Ole Miss get on the bump and throw it pretty well. Yep. One more uh, – I agree. One more I, – I felt like I kind of glossed over the Delusia piece of this um, a little bit because it was – I mentioned, like, I thought it came in a pretty important spot. And then we talked about sometimes, like, having a certain mindset as a Friday guy. One of the, it was a small thing, but one of the things I noticed after he left – so he gets – he goes six – he gets the first out of the sixth inning, and then he gives up a um, – he gives up – excuse me, it was a, an error to start the uh, – the oh, he made the error himself, wasn't it? Delusia made the error. Anyway, yes. he yes. gets the guy on. Um, he gets the next out. He gets a strikeout. And then um, – or excuse me, sorry. I, I'm all over the place with this one. I have the wrong inning up. He allowed a runner to reach on an error that he made. It's kind of a tough play. It was one of those tweener ones. And then he gets the um, – and then he gets an out. And then it goes to Gaddis. But – it looked like he really wanted to finish the game or at least finish that inning. And like, he was trying, he was standing over there in the dugout and like, he looked like pretty pissed that he like not, I guess had finished the job in that sense, rather than being like, I just saved this team's ass. And I just thought from a mindset standpoint, that was a small thing, but I thought it kind of went a long way. Cause he had the dudes in the dugout trying to go up and like congratulate him. And he didn't really look like he wanted to have any part of it because he wanted to still be out there in the seventh and having to finish the job there. Yeah, yeah, that's no, that's a really good point. Um, it takes a certain type of mindset to be a good Friday night guy in the SEC. Um, even if you don't have the best stuff in the world, you have to believe that you have the best stuff in the world or you're going to get your feelings hurt on Friday night in this league. Um, so, no, I, I think from a mindset perspective, outside of Brandon Johnson, there's nobody else uh, that kind of has that, that you know, screw you menta- mentality that Dylan DeLucia has or, or, or nobody else has kind of made it apparent that they have it. So, um, no, I, I think, look, Mike deserves a lot of credit for rolling the dice. Kids never started a game at Ole Miss, to my knowledge. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's never started even midweeks or anything. Um, and he goes out there and shoves, and, and, and five deserves a lot of credit for that. Yeah, I was uh, – I was good Lord, I was all over the place. I didn't have the wrong inning up. I had the wrong game. He was ahead one and two to the Felker kid, and then he hit him. He had a breaking ball run in on him, and he hit him in the foot. And then Fogel, uh, he gets an out, and then the Fogel came up, and he was 0-2. The kid fouled off three pitches in a row, and then he walked him. So it was two on one out there. And I guess what I was getting at in the dugout is they're coming up and congratulating on what was by far Ole Miss' best outing of the season, uh, particularly when you consider the opponent and all things considered there, where he was pissed he let the guy – like he let that bat- hitter get away rather than finish the inning is what I was alluding to. In case anyone out there was like, what the hell is this kid talking about? So wrong – a case of the wrong game up there on StatCast. But anyway, not the uh, not the point. He was tremendous. Um, the he doesn't really walk anybody, and he doesn't live over the center of the plate, which, like, Ole Miss hadn't had a huge problem with walks predominantly. It's the fact that they're throwing flat strikes in the middle of the plate that are getting hit very far. And there wasn't a whole lot of hard contact with Dylan DeLucia beyond, you know, throwing a lot of strikes and getting a lot of head and counts. I went through every single one of his hitters to see if I could find a first-pitch strike stat, and nothing really stuck out because just kind of the way it cracks sometimes. But he had a lot of 1-2 and 0-2 counts. And Kentucky was consistently in really bad counts. And they didn't really square him up at all, which I thought was a, uh, a certainly an encouraging sign. Because even if you talk about, like, a guy like Gaddis, where could – like, is there a case that he could be, like, the Sunday guy or something like that or a Saturday guy? But he just isn't equipped to be a Friday night starter because it's just – the way he pitches 
is not necessarily conducive to that. And I just thought the fact that Dylan Delucia won through a bunch of strikes and they didn't hardly barrel up any balls was certainly important, particularly for the role. Like, yes, it would have been important if he'd look like that on a Saturday, but if Ole Miss is going to find some semblance of a Friday night guy, having someone with that kind of stuff that other teams don't square up as often, as simple as it sounds, I thought was pretty important as well. Yeah, for sure. No, he, he got ahead of hitters and worked well. Um, and, you know, he, he gave the offense a chance to breathe. He gets the shutdown inning at the top of the first after almost scores a run. He did a lot of really, really impressive things for a guy that's not started on this level um, to go out there on Friday night on the road um, and, and, and pitch pretty well. Now, he was he was extremely, extremely impressive and, and deserves a lot of credit for that performance. And if you're Ole Miss, you just hope that continues. Look, I, I don't think Ole Miss has to be great on Friday night in this league to, to, to be a great team. I think there's they do a lot of other things really, really well. If they can just find a dude that goes out there and, and, and pitches. Man, if they if, – if like you, you mentioned him on, I believe, last week's show. If Dylan DeLucci can be Will Etheridge, then, then Ole Miss is going to yeah. be really, really good. Absolutely. I mean, it was, it, 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 was such a, it was such a stark contrast because they had been – that was the whole idea where I, I, he announced the rotation on Thursday, Bianco did, and then I – I saw people on the board kind of criticizing it. I can't say I didn't understand it, but like the starting pitching had been so bad, I was unwilling to call any yeah. bad idea. Look, if he'd not to catch my man Wes Burton with a straight, but like if he'd have run out Wes Burton or something as their Friday night guy, I might have wondered if they drug test the coaches. But like outside of that, there were no such thing as a bad idea. I just kind of wanted to see it. And boy was Mike right, and boy was Delucia, uh, as Mike likes to say, tremendous in that outing. And you mentioned the first inning. I know it's a small thing, but Ole Miss scores the run. How big did that first zero feel? Like, the, he got off the field in the first inning. They had a pretty – like, a shutdown inning after they scored a run. And I have no idea why, but I remember writing it down when I was watching the game. I was like, that just felt important for some reason. They had gotten off to such terrible starts in the mound. Just getting a zero in the first inning somehow felt huge. Yeah, no, I think that's – that. yeah. And you, and you let the kid breathe, and he goes out and delivers and gives you a zero. And frankly, I mean – I'll be honest. I didn't see the the play because you texted me about it. I didn't see the Dunhurst play. Oh, baseball um, died. You missed this. I forgot. Oh yeah. Oh my, no, you're talking about the Dunhurst play. We can get to the other one in a minute. But uh, all right. Yeah, my my dad actually texted me about that one. He's like, you, "You're not going to believe what just happened." And and my dad, who's who's pretty cynical when it comes to Ole Miss, was like, "Yeah, it's it, it was the right call, and it was the right call by about twelve feet." <laughs> like, okay, um, but. Apparently, Sorry, I derailed you. Know, you. You're talking about the Dunhurst play. Yeah, it, it, whatever. And I still haven't seen that play, so it's hard for me to criticize. But um, I got a bunch of text messages about it, so I'm going to say it, it was pretty egregious. But if that doesn't happen, you know, Ole Miss wins that game two to nothing on, on Friday night. and um, Kind of just everything goes to plan. Um, so, it just, just, I mean, hard to say enough about him. It's a, it was a really, really impressive, really, really gutty performance and, and one Ole Miss certainly needed. Yeah, I was uh, I was like, can they just get five? Like, can they get a guy that gets them yeah. somewhere in the fifth inning or like four and change? I didn't anticipate six and a third uh, of one-hit shutout baseball. Or excuse me, three-hit, one-run baseball. And it was uh, it was certainly important for Ole Miss. And then it made me wonder, like, I don't know how many times in the past couple of years I've watched an Ole Miss game to where, like, most of the time, like, if it's a Saturday game or something, starters laboring based on what happened on Friday night, you could kind of figure out who's probably heading into the bullpen and who's going down there, who should probably pitch in that situation. This is the first time throughout the entire weekend when they would pan to the bullpen, I would get, like, my eyes would light up because I'd be like, I have no idea who it is. I can't even guess. <laughs> I had no idea who was coming into the game next throughout the course of the entire weekend. And it started with Gaddis coming out of the pen 
uh, in relief of Delusia to get the uh, to face those two hitters. I was like, okay, this is this is certainly something. But I think that one speaks to kind of Mike's mindset change and just being willing to kind of look at it as a blank slate and we're going to do anything we can because. I don't know if you were like, shared that sentiment with me, but I seriously felt lost on who was going to come into the game next throughout the course of the entire weekend. I was like, I have no clue. Uh, yeah, especially after the Gattis deal. I, I suspected – I believe they, they kind of panned up Johnson getting loose there in the top of the eighth. Um, so, I just you, – you kind of knew he would be the next guy there. But other than that, no, I mean, you didn't know from, from Raleigh Maddox to Derek Diamond, um, which I thought was interesting. Look, it, it worked out, but I thought – Derek pitched pretty well last week, and, and he goes to the bullpen and, and you know, obviously has a tough outing. Um, I, yeah, it's a really good way to put it. Over the course of – I think the only time I was pretty certain of who was coming in was uh, when Washburn left the mound. I, I figured I knew who was coming in for, for those final – well, I guess I guess he didn't pitch the last one, but I, I figured I knew who was coming in after Washburn today because he hadn't pitched all weekend. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's probably the one exception. Like outside of that, it was an it was an interesting way to watch the game because I was a, like I said, it was kind of a clueless feeling. And again, Mike deserves credit for figuring this thing out. It is certainly not any you know we spent an hour on the Thursday podcast talking about the pitching, and we were not even in the ballpark on how it actually shook out. <laughs> it doesn't I guess necessarily make us uh I, I don't know uh. I don't know our batting average in terms of guessing how Mike's going to set up a rotation, but I usually feel like it's fairly high. We were not in the ballpark. We didn't even come close to it. It was, uh, it was certainly an out-of-the-box way to think of things, and it worked. And that Friday win felt really important for them. John Sprint and Johnson's always a pretty – like pitches with a lot of emotion and is an emotional guy in that sense. But just looking at the dugout and him like yelling at the dugout when the game ended, and like they were seemed very, very fired up for an early April Friday win. And look, I know every win is important, but that just felt – like a massive confidence boost and a massive kind of win for this team's psyche as well. Because like I said, if that goes the wrong way and they wasted Delusia's really awesome outing and they use Johnson for multiple innings when he comes in a tie game and they come out on the wrong side of it, I think you look at the weekend totally different. To me, that just felt important. And I felt like you could sense that in the, uh, in the dugout, even just through the television. No, it was really good. It was really good. Um, I don't know, man. It's it's just in totality, it's just a crazy kind of place to be because, you know, almost has a losing record in the SEC. And you just kind of look at this from an overall standpoint. It's like, I think they're okay. Um, whereas last weekend, I'm pretty sure everyone thought the world was burning. Oh, that is uh, absolutely the case. And that was the weird part about the whole, and we talked a little bit about this last week. That was a weird part about the whole pitching staff thing where that's what also made Mike's quote really important where it's like it's not like that month-long stretch last year in uh in April and kind of early May where they had literally no no one after their starters not named Taylor Broadway that could get anyone out like they had options they just weren't getting value out of the guys that were pitching well and it was such like the starters being so bad made it such a uh, kind of a misleading picture in terms of what the pitching staff as a whole actually is and I felt like that's kind of what this weekend was about. You started – we started off the conversation with Brandon Johnson and is he getting the mo- – or is he – are they using him to where they get the most value out of him? I think the answer is probably no, but I felt like the rest of the weekend was – that was much more what it was about. Mike was just trying to find ways to get the best value out of the guys that were pitching well, and I think he's going to continue to do that, and it's probably going to be a somewhat evolving thing over the next couple of weeks. And you know that, and Johnson included. Like, do they eventually kind of look up, even if things aren't going bad? 
and stick him in the rotation just because they feel like that gets more value out of him. And I've said the word value like 10 times, but that's what this feels like more so than this just being a bad pitching staff, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, I, now, look, is this a, you know, a premier one? No, but nobody really is in this league. But the difference was for Ole Miss, they could just not find guys that could get them through innings. Ooh, this could be bad. Um, poor kit, the catcher from State. Yeah, Logan Tanner, I'm watching the same thing you are. I hope he's not too hurt. Good night. Feel bad for the kid. Um, but, you know, it's it, Ole Miss just couldn't find dudes that could get them, you know, through the fourth and fifth innings, whereas other teams didn't have guys that were dominant and did that, but they were able to find guys that were able to eat outs. And Ole Miss just up until this point had not figured out how to do that. Um, and, and might, you know, give him a lot of credit. I know I've said that a few times. Um, he went about it from a schematic standpoint. It's like, how, how do I get the most value out of Riley Maddox? How do I get, and look, obviously he didn't pitch well on Saturday. I don't think it's any reason to give up on Riley Maddox. Um, you know, and, and how do I get the most value out of Hunter Elliott? And how do I get the most value out of John Gaddis? And, and to his everlasting credit, he was able to do that this weekend, even though that Saturday probably uh, kind of blew up on him a little bit. When I was writing um, the Friday newsletter and I hadn't addressed the Tuesday night quote yet, one of the things I missed that I don't, I, I don't think I brought it up when we spoke on Thursday was Mike taking blame for him managing how they use the pitching steps and manage the game from that standpoint was interesting because you rarely hear Mike say stuff like that. Look, I like to joke about the guy, but I don't mean it in the sense that like he literally is never wrong. But he is, in the past, has been stubborn in some ways. And then I, I rarely like, I rarely ever hear him say, like, just completely, hey, that's on me. I have to do a better job, whether it's coach speaker too or not. That's just not really how he kind of approaches, I guess, the way he talks to the media in some senses. And I thought it was really telling that he said, I've done a bad job managing the game from a pitching standpoint. That has to change. And I didn't know what to think of it. I didn't know. He's, I guess the way I should have put it is he's not a guy – that just says that's on me when it's clearly like not a like he's the sole source of the problem just for the sake of like coach speak and being a good teammate or blah 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 or whatever and him saying that I didn't know what to think of it but I think that's kind of what you saw this weekend where he certainly went about it differently and I didn't think he had done a terrible job managing the pitching stuff I just thought dudes hadn't pitched well the guys who were supposed to be their starters who seemed like the best options just had kind of failed them but Again, I keep saying it over and over again. Credit to him for kind of going about a different way because it certainly worked. I'll ask you this. After the Friday night game ended, without, before you obviously saw it, who did you think was going to start the next day? Um, well, so, you know, Hunter Elliott wasn't the thought because I thought he had pitched that night because when I saw the lefty and the volume was down. Um, I, I thought Washburn was an option. Um, I thought – I, past that, I had no idea because you know I really um, no either. The Gaddis <laughs> thing threw me off so badly. I, I mean, you could have you could have told me Doherty, and I'd be like, okay, that makes sense. Um, State gets out of that well. Um, yeah, you could have told me Doherty, and I'd have been. That, I think that would have been the least surprising option would have been Doherty. But uh, um, obviously, you know, Hunter Elliott's not a surprise for for any reason. I mean, he's he's pitched really well uh, a lot of the time this year. Absolutely, and so. The Saturday game gets away from them a little bit later, but I think the biggest story when Mike uh, – I don't know if you've noticed this lately, but uh, Mike's Twitter replies when he sets a lineup card, they're Not never in a great place in terms of just positivity and cheer, but the last few have been a whole other level. And I think the biggest shakeup obviously was on Saturday, and we might as well just get to it now as maybe we transition sure. to the offense a little bit. He benched Peyton Chatagnier. 
Um, um all right, all right. So I'll, I'll say this: bench to me has like a, a negative yeah, connotation. Yeah, yeah that's why I heard that. Yeah. So yeah, he gave him a day off. So yeah, so Chat was zero for four. He's really struggled at the plate, and you know, unfortunately, it didn't. He, you know, he was put back in the lineup today, and the kid goes zero for five. He's really struggled, but that was uh that was quite the shakeup. Um, I know Mike had a quote in his press conference on Friday night when he was asked about Chatagnier, but uh, I can't tell you I thought that he would, he would like I guess make that move then. I was like, oh, maybe this is something to keep an eye on if Shot continues to struggle. And uh, he went ahead and did it. He went and gave him the day off. What did you make of that? Um, that he just wanted the kid to re- reset his uh, reset his mind. I'll say this. Uh, look, Chat was not very good again on Sunday. I did think he had a little bit – I think, you know, probably had of the five, maybe two were quality at bats. I think he hit a ball hard to right field, which is a good sign for Chatagnier that he's hitting stuff hard to right field. Um, I, look, the kid's struggling. My question is is not whether Peyton Chatagnier should be in the lineup. I think at this point right now it would be kind of – he's going to be – Best, you know, second base option if Bench isn't there, and if Bench isn't there, that changes a lot of different. Excuse me, if Bench is there, that changes a lot of different things. Um, but I, I do have to wonder why he is, if he is going to be in the lineup, why he has to hit it the number one or two spot. That that just doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense right now. No, it does not. And that was the surprising part about when he gets put back in the lineup on Sunday. Why I, I was the same way. I was like, why is he? Why is he in the two hole? I don't. I didn't understand that aspect of it either. This was uh, probably just an oversight and an error on my part. And, look, last weekend the conversation was so pitching-centered because of what Tennessee did to the Ole Miss pitching staff. And no, the entire offense didn't really perform well. But I didn't realize how, how badly his struggles had gotten. So, in the finale on Saturday against Auburn, he had three hits. Do you know how many hits he has since that game? I don't. Two. Oof. One against Memphis, one against North Alabama. He does not have a hit on a weekend in the last two weeks. Yeah, That's it's not great. great. I mean, no, you're talking – he went 0 for 12 against Tennessee and then he's 0 for 9 in the two games against Kentucky. That's uh, – that's, that's tough. What do you think it is? I mean, you know the, you know about like the approach stuff. He, like he's pressing. Baseball. What do you think it is? He's pressing and, and – I mean, Chad's always been a guy that, that pulls the baseball pretty heavily, and I think guys have just been able to locate stuff on the outside corner. And, and, and along with that, he's pressing. Um, I don't know. I, I still believe by the time this, this year ends that he's a regular contributor for Ole Miss and he finds it. Um, people get annoyed with him, which I don't think is a lot of it's fair um, because he does swing early in counts. Um, you know, and, and look, I, I, I'm, I'm one that – thinks he probably should be dropped in the order um, for sure. But I don't know. It's it's He's always been a really pull-heavy guy, and it's just for whatever reason um, not really worked out so far this year, especially in conference play. It's I don't think it's anything overly complex as to why he's struggling. I just, you know, um, we've seen guys go through this before that, you know, had experience and had success in this league and, and just, you know, uh, whatever reason, there there's a year that, um, they're not very good. If you remember an Austin boss build in, in 2013 was really good as a true freshman. Um, and, and you got to remember Peyton is, this is only Peyton's second time through the SEC. I know it seems like he's been here forever, but this is only his second time through this league. Um, you know, a, a guy like Austin Bossfield in 2013 really, really struggled and then was really good in 2014 again. 
Um, sometimes the, these type of slumps just happen, and, and for Ole Miss's sake, you kind of just hope he figures it out. The what do you? I'll put it. I'm trying. I'm to so it. tired of watching college coaches bunt guys from first to second. By the way, second time Auburn has done it. In, last time it was a two runner, John Arkansas. I should say. I think I just said Auburn. Well, State Auburn. just did it again. I think. Oh, that is State. Oh, you're right. I have that backwards. Good Lord, I'm all over the place today. Not the not the finest uh, attention to detail job on the pod by me so far. Um. Anyway, the uh, I'll put it to you this way, or ask you it in this sense. Remember when we talked about? I think it was like Tim Elko in 2020 no 2021 it was last year which is crazy to think of the beginning of last year it's like look they're just gonna have to live with him like at the beginning of the year he I think he had like four or five games to start the year where he wasn't great but it was a storyline before the season began anyway we were like look you gotta give him you know 35 I mean, 30 games or 27 games or something like that worth of at bats and he just is what he is like Ole Miss has to have him do you view Chatigny the same way like I don't necessarily think he'll be taken out of the lineup on a permanent basis either, but I also don't think he's as indispensable and kind of set in stone as maybe a couple of the other cornerstones of the offense are. Like, if Mike wanted to make a move, I think he could. Where I'm trying to think of another example. I guess if Tim Elko at this point, if he's struggling and not hitting, he's just going to play. I guess this year's version of Elko is a little bit different given, you know, what he did last year um, production-wise. But just do you think that he's kind of just is what it is and they have to live with him? Because I don't necessarily feel that way. Um, no, no. Omas has the depth where if it got to that point, they could replace him. Um, I just – I don't think that's going to happen. I, I think he finds it enough to where he is an everyday contributor for Ole Miss at some point. Um, look, look, obviously, if this keeps up and he goes hitless two more weekends, then, yeah, you, you got to do something. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. I think he's going to find it. If you remember – uh, Shatney towards the end of the SEC season last year really struggled and then kind of came around in the postseason in the SEC tournament. So I, I'm one that, that believes the kid will figure out something. Um, so I don't know. It'll it'll be an interesting uh, thing because obviously the, the easy fix is you just move bench in. And, you know, the thing is, I mean, when Kevin Graham comes back either next week or the next, I mean, someone's got to go to the bench. So you're, you're kind of all fighting for playing time because Kevin Graham, when he is back, will be in the lineup uh, over somebody. And you're right. And, you know, there's another aspect of it, too, of a guy that apparently is not hurt. We can get to this part of it in a second. But one last note I wanted to mention, you mentioned move bench in to second base. Is there a world they would do it with McCants? Just because he is an infielder and he's not exactly a uh, web gym machine as an outfielder. I don't mean that as like a slight kid. He's not a great outfielder. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, you know, McCants yeah. is an infielder. Like, he's a shortstop by trade. Mike recruits a ton of those. Well, I, he, he actually replaced – how he got on the field last year was because he replaced Chattanooga when he got hurt. Um, yes, that's a, you're, I forgot about that. Chad had the hamstring injury. I'm curious if that's what it looks like because you mentioned Kevin Graham's coming back. That opens up an outfield slot because obviously it's not like you can play a Kevin Graham at second base and a like Calvin Harris was the other guy I wanted to get to. It's not a one-for-one plug-in, plug-out thing. But having a natural infielder who by all accounts is a pretty good defensive builder playing in the outfield that move just feels more easy and readily available. I guess is kind of what I was getting at when I was asking you the question about is Shat just set in stone? I think the answer is no. I'm with you. I tend to think he figures it out. But it's an interesting thing to think about because he's going to have to find places for Harris, at least I think, and Graham when they come back. And if a guy's not producing at a certain point, it's like, what do you do, you know? Yeah, no. Um, it is. 
don't know. It's something you're just going to have to see what happens over the next few weekends. You, you played some teams in Alabama and, and South Carolina that don't think it pitch that don't think pitch it overly well. Um, so I mean, it's it's just really pretty much a wait and see. I expect he'll be in the lineup all three games next weekend, and and for Ole Miss's sake. Um, because I do think their best defensive lineup involves him at second base for, for Ole Miss's sake. Kind of just hope he figures it out. Speaking of uh, best lineups, uh, the guy hitting 570-something had one start this weekend. Thoughts? Uh, not great. I, he's got to be on the field. I don't know who it comes at the cost of. Um, you know, that's the, that's the thing. It's like, do you pull Leatherwood out? Well, how? Um, do you pull Alderman out? Well, how? Um, so – it's, it's really over. And obviously, you can't go play second base, but you can, you know, make some arrangements and figure it out. Well, it's, um, the, it's, the, it's the the bridge to that is the me- moving McCants into the infield, right? Yeah. Like, that's, yeah. that's kind of why I was, I guess, setting that up the way I did. It's like, you're like, who do you take out? You can't do Leatherwood. You can't do Alderman. It's like, well, at a certain point, you can take the guy out, you know, that hasn't gotten a, a hit on an SEC weekend in over two weeks. That's kind of uh, the reason I was getting at, because the Harris thing is puzzling. Yeah, no, that's uh, yeah, it's he's got to get on the field. I know he had the bad strikeout this weekend, um, but he's a guy that can really swing it and has really been able to swing it um uh, well over the past the past few weeks. I, I yeah, he he or not few weeks, but um, Pat over this this year when he's been healthy, um, no, they they got to figure out a way to get him on the field. It's just who it's at the expense of, um, because you know Burford has a pretty good day today. It's 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 tough. Um, yeah, I I don't know. It's it's that thing, man. Like, you, and, and I guess the good news for Ole Miss is you've got a, guy, a lot of guys with a lot of flexibility, do a lot of different things, and, and bench provides you the ability to do a lot of different things because he can play anywhere on the field. Um, but you know, it's it's you got to figure out a way to get Calvin Harris lined up. I don't think Ole Miss's best nine right now um, has him sitting on the bench. I'll say that for sure. I don't either. That's what made the entire thing more baffling. And I'll put it. You mentioned the strikeout in that big spot where he pinch hit on Friday night, I never put hardly any value. And I'm not saying like you were insinuating this, but like in terms of the, well, why isn't he playing? And then he comes in and strikes out. That's just playing the result. I guess if you're using that as some sort of justification as to why Mike didn't play him on Friday. And most of it comes from, I remember talking to Austin Anderson and Holt Perdzok for the Perdzok. I did a story on his triple or whatever that sent him to Omaha, or at least, you know, put the game out of reach. And everyone I talked to for that story, I think I talked to Orvis as well, was like, I hate pinch hitting. He's like, it. they were all like, it sucks. You come off cold, like you haven't been in the game. There's a lot of places they play where you can't go down and get swings in the cage like before, um, which oddly enough, that night in ULL was one of them. Um, Perzak was like taking swings, like stepping out of the dugout between innings just to take swings to get loose. Point being, I don't put a ton of weight on the pinch hitting aspect of it. Just sure. because it seems like an incredibly difficult job, and it's just a bad place to be in in general, which kind of made Perzak's career so fan- like interesting in some ways because the dude was a good pinch hitter I had a couple of stats in that story where like I went back and looked at the games he pinch hit in and he was like when you're talking like MLB Hall of Fame type stuff in terms of his pinch hitting role so anyway I don't put a bunch of stock in that but I do think he has to be on the field and I don't necessarily understand it I certainly didn't understand it on Friday Mike had an out he had like the Leatherwood type out in terms of not starting Harris on Sunday because Kentucky was starting a left-hander in Bosma or Bozma, however you say that guy's name. But I think the dude hitting like, – here's a, here's a thought. Podcast take here. Should the guy hitting 570 play no matter how uh, – no matter what hand the opposing <laughs> pitcher throws with? Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Yeah, he, he left right. I don't, I don't really think it should matter as far as whether uh, Harris plays right now. 
I just, I don't understand it. What do you, like, if you were, the game we play a decent bit on the podcast, if you're trying to get into Mike's head, what do you think his justification for it is? Because he didn't start him against a right-handed on Friday. Maybe there's something injury-related we don't know about, but other than that, I got nothing. Uh, you're going to have a hard time convincing me it's injury-related because he went and caught on Sunday after uh, he pinched it for Dunhurst. So, that's he, a good he looks like I, I was just I was I was throwing the one possibility I had left out there. Now I officially have nothing. I don't get it. Yeah, I I can't. You know, you know, when Mike Mike would do some things last year, and we're like, we're trying to figure out what he was thinking. But I really can't. I'm kind of with. I'm kind of there with this situation. Um, Harris just has to be in the lineup. It is what it is. Um, I, obviously, I know he didn't have a great at bat on Friday, and, um, but I just it, at this point, you gotta. I know Alderman's had good at bats. I know Leatherwood's had good at bats, but you you can figure out a way to get all three of them on the field if you need to, for sure. The Saturday game, I thought Hunter Elliott was decent. He certainly gave Ole Miss a chance. He goes four and a third. He strikes out four. He walks two. He allows two unearned runs. He was certainly good enough, and I think he had a pretty short leash. Honestly, mostly because one he hadn't started a game ever, a true freshman, and Mike's like the bullpen was in pretty good shape because of what. Uh, because of what Delucia gave them on Friday night. And so I thought he certainly gave them a chance. It gets away from them late. At the end of the day, Ole Miss was never going to win that game, scoring two runs on three hits. As I say that, they literally did that the night before. But you get my point. You weren't winning a lot of games like that, um, hitting that way. But the game did get away from them late a little bit in the bullpen. Um, I thought Riley Maddox wasn't great. I I thought he had a little bit of poor luck, some of it. uh, But then he walks the guy that was costly. I, it wasn't his best outing. There's been a couple of those in a row now. And then the Derek Diamond part of it was just – Chase has used the term dead weight a decent bit when talking about the pitching staff and the roster management and, like, the recruiting side of it. Does Derek Diamond become dead weight now? What do you do with this guy? It's hard, right? Because – all right, let's say this. Ole Miss has uh, – I, I, and I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. Ole Miss has a 6-4 to four lead um, on a Sunday. Um with a series on the line, and every bullpen pitcher is available, meaning that, you know, everybody besides Washburn, Elliott, and Delusia is available. How far down the list do you go before you get to Derek Diamond? Okay, run through that one more time, make sure I have that right. So, how far on a Saturday, if you have everyone available? On, on, a, on a Sunday, well, whatever. Everyone's available besides your three starters. How far down the list do you go before you get to Derek Diamond? Oh man, it's good ways, isn't it? <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll put it to you this way: Would I be nuts for sticking our guy, Mike's guy, Joshua Malatin, <laughs> before I go with Derek no. Diamond at this point? Am I nuts for that? Is it that? No, way? because at least I don't. I don't. I'll say it like this: um, At least Malitz is younger, um, and from a del- developmental standpoint, you can probably get more. Um, and he's pitched very well at times this year. Um, no, I don't think that would be a crazy thing at all. It's he's just I, he's not high enough up the pecking order. And this weekend, I thought Mike would still let him roll on Sunday. I did, um, but he obviously to me this weekend tells me what Mike currently thinks of Derek Diamond. Um, he moved him from Sunday to a really non consequential role within the bullpen. Yeah, it really was. And it's it's the same thing over and over again. I mean, you talk about in the seventh inning where he gives up the – when the uh, Plastiac hit the home run, that was when I was like, okay, Ole Miss is not winning this game. Because I believe at that point it was 4-2. to two. 
Maddox had come in, come in. They'd given up the lead. But, you know, 4-2, you're right there in the game. Well, he's ahead of Ritter 1-2, and two, and he allows a single up the middle. Some, I mean, it was hit decently hard, but whatever. Well placed. Not going to kill you, kill him for that one. But then he gets ahead of in the home run uh, at bat. He gets ahead one and two in the count, one ball, and then he hangs one over the middle of the plate, and the kid hits it of you know a bajillion feet. It's just he doesn't have anything that can put guys away. And we've talked about this a couple of times. I don't believe he's fully healthy. I don't know anything. It's just a personal opinion of mine. But at a certain point, if you don't have anything that can put decent SEC hitters away, I don't know how you're used on weekends. You know? Yeah, I just does he start pointing for I mean, good lord. Fair question. I would I would think I would bet on Drew McDaniel because he's been listed as that second starter during the midweek um, every week up until uh, well every the last two weeks. But the, the games have gotten rained out. I think if I had to bet, I would bet on Drew McDaniel. I will say this: I, I think Ole Miss to be what they want to be, Drew McDaniel or Derek Diamond one have got to figure it out. Um, I, I think they need that guy that can be a long relief guy or, or an option, you know, like a Tyler Myers. Um, Tyler Myers was invaluable to Ole Miss at times last year. Um, so I think, I think one of them has to get it figured out. And I'll be honest, just because I think he's going to get more, uh, he's going to get the midweek role because I, I don't think Diamond's going to come back after throwing, you know, what, 40 pitches on Saturday and start on Tuesday night. Um, I think, though, if I had to bet on one, I think I'd bet on Drew McDaniel. I think I would, too, because both of it is mental for them in some capacities, but it seems almost squarely mental for McDaniel, whereas Diamond, there's what's the deal with the velocity drops, and there's some other stuff there without speculating too far about point. Whereas McDaniel, I agree. I think I would, I would, I would go with McDaniel in terms of if I had to pick a guy I'm counting on to figure it out. I'm with you there. I think you're right in that sense, and I think the Tyler Myers analogy with that is perfect because this year's version of Tyler Myers, they just stuck as the Friday night guy. So, like, that role <laughs> yeah. is open. You know what I mean? Like, Dylan yeah, DeLuca yeah. is the Tyler Myers of 2021, and they just made him their Friday guy. So, I agree with you. They're going to need a long relief situation like that where you had it. It was the perfect example on Saturday. Um, Elliot gives you four and a third. You need someone to keep it at 2-2 two, two or, you know, even if it's just 3-2 and the guy gives up a run or two to get it to where you can have a Jack Doherty or a Brandon Johnson or someone like that come in. And that's what they couldn't find on Saturday. And it's honestly why they lost the game, right? He went to Maddox first, then he goes to Diamond and they couldn't figure it out. But I think you're right. And honestly, in terms of what we thought both of those guys were going to be, it ties in the recruiting aspect of it, too. It's like, why don't they have any starting pitching? What's going wrong this year? And we went through the recruiting aspect of it. What they thought when uh, Drew McDaniel was going to be when he got here and what he, Derek Diamond was going to be when he got here, that's really hurting them, them not panning out. It kind, those two guys kind of tie the whole picture in terms of the pitching mess together, don't you think? Oh, for sure. It's uh, Yeah, absolutely. If, if one, even one of those two guys were you know what you thought they would be in year three then you'd be in a really good spot but just it just hadn't panned out whether you know it's just from lack of experience or whatever but I mean you got to think about it man like these two guys started regional games for Ole Miss last year these two guys started games in Hoover last year for Ole Miss these two guys were their Saturday and Sunday guys um for the last two series last year um they were their Saturday and Sunday guys against Auburn last year it it's and just you're at this point where like neither one of them 
pitched in a, you know, pitched a really consequential inning this weekend. It's just it's kind of falling off and and, and your old miss, you just kind of hope that you know, maybe like Zach Phillips did in 19, that one of them gets that midweek roll and relishes in it because you certainly need one of them by the time June rolls around to, to be the type starter that you thought they could be. Yep, and it's an important point in the sense that what happened to Ole Miss last weekend, they got swept. So they're now four and five in the SEC, whereas I think we probably would have had them at five and four or six and yep. three if you were guessing after two series. Four and five is not the worst place to be. And uh, and particularly when you've had two road series in the first three weekends. But I guess what I'm getting at is if Ole Miss gets – if they want to get to where they want to go in how the postseason's set up, that being a top eight national seed and playing baseball in your home ballpark all the way up to potentially getting to Omaha, they are going to have to sweep at some point and probably sweep maybe a couple of times, like twice. You know, the reason that 28-2016 team I referenced for whatever reason so often – they were robbed of a top eight national seed because the other team they were going against was purple and gold and wore LSU on their chest. But the reason that team was, you know, 18 and 12 and got to where they got without being that talented is because they swept three times. Uh-huh. And that role we're talking about, the middle relief role, is going to be the diff- on Saturday to kind of conserve some part of the pin and just keep you in a, ga- a tight game. That's kind of the difference between taking two of three and sweeping a lot of the time. Like, Again, it didn't. It, hindsight's twenty twenty, and Ole Miss didn't hit the ball well and didn't deserve to win the game on Tuesday. But if, when when um when Hunter Elliott leaves the game, if you can have someone keep it at two, I mean, it was two to one when he left, so he left with the lead. Yeah. If and you if you could have got it to the eighth with a two to one lead, you know who's coming in. He's probably going to shut it down again. Exactly. Or even if you're down three two, more times than not, if what we think this offense could be, you're probably still liking their chances to win the game. If they had been down four to two in the eighth inning the other night. Uh, on sa- uh, Saturday afternoon, wouldn't you still like their chances to win? I know they didn't end up turning out that way, but more times than not, based on the larger sample size of the lineup. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I, I, I don't know. It's 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 kind of the thing we talked about earlier in the year. It's kind of hard on Mike, um, and and it's just kind of a dumb conversation with how the offense performed on Friday and Saturday. It's kind of hard on Mike, right? Because there's some there's got to be some situations where he's like, I cannot throw my best guys down five to three. Um, but it's like, if you just give this offense a chance, they'll probably figure it out. Um, so it's, it's just kind of that situation where, um, if you can find guys, and I guess what I'm saying is if you can find guys like a diamond or a McDaniel or whoever that can go a few innings and either keep you in the ball game or preserve a lead, uh, you will certainly be better off for sure. And last thing, before we get to the offensive side of it, you talked about, you know, Ole Miss needs one of those guys, whether it's uh, Drew McDaniel or Derek Diamond, what if there's a third option that you're not thinking about? Do you know? John well, okay, that's a good one. Not what I had in mind, but that's not the that's not a wrong answer. Max Chopey dressed out. There. Yeah. So here's my worry with Max, right? Um, I don't know if you can just come in and start extending him and extending him. So he feels like a guy that's going to need one inning, one inning, one inning, two innings, two innings. Like, it, I don't know if he can just be the guy that can come in and throw, you know, 3.2 innings against LSU on a Saturday. I think I'm with you there. Like, and particularly coming back from the injury, like you said, it's also going to take him time to kind of become, you know, Max Trophy again. But I guess there at least is another potential option in terms of relief pitching aid in this pitching staff that it sounds like he's probably going to pitch at some point this year. I just don't know when. And honestly, if he can, if it can happen in the next week or two, that's kind of important because if a guy comes back, I guess if he comes back on like 
you know, a week from now. So just say he's ready for the Alabama series. I don't know anything about that. That's a big difference because it gives him a little bit more time to get acclimated to where if he had been healthy enough to ready to go like second week of May, I'm not sure I love his chances of helping the team with, you know, only three and a half weeks of season left, if that makes sense. Sure. No, it's, it's a very valid point. Um, so look, any, any pitching added to this rotation will certainly be welcome sight for Ole Miss. That's, that's for certain. I, I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting because I, feel, I still feel like three uh, three weeks into this, I think roles have become more and more clear, but I still don't think they're as clear as they're going to be when Ole Miss obviously gets into the postseason. Um, it's just it's the the win, the wheel is going to keep turning. Guys are going to get you know um, interesting guy that didn't pitch this weekend though, uh, Mason Nichols. So yeah. uh, um, I think he's a guy that Bianco trusts. I, well, now that I say that out loud. I wonder if he's a guy that might start on Tuesday. Certainly possible, I think. I, that's one I hadn't thought about, but definitely. Um, you know, so I just, you know, role, roles are going to get more and more clear over the next few weeks, especially if this rotation is able to uh, to solidify itself. They uh, Let's talk about the offense. The first two Ooh. innings – excuse me, the first two games, Ole Miss musters a grand total of two runs on eight hits and if we're being completely honest the first run on Friday and I can't remember the uh the uh or excuse me sorry they had four runs four runs in the first yeah. game. I was gonna say two runs two runs in each game and if we're being honest the Kentucky gifted Ole Miss the first one they had I don't remember the other three but not great I'll tell you I'll, I'll give you a little inside baseball here as I was making sure I had everything correct in like the Kentucky preview for the newsletter I was going through it and I was like Going through the pitching staff, and I was looking down. I was like, okay, two ERA, sub two ERA, one something ERA. I don't understand. How are these guys giving up so much runs? This doesn't add up. And then I realized I was in the whip column. Kentucky, not lighting it up um, on the map. So, <laughs> yeah. I was like, this doesn't make any sense. I was like, oh, no, these are really high whips. This is not their ERA. So, with that being said, Kentucky's not a team that had torn it up on the mound. They just lost their Friday night guy. And for the first 18 innings of this series, and really – but until Ole Miss exploded late in the game, the first 21 innings of the series, they kept it under wraps. Um, we talked about on the Thursday show, I was like, look, we think they'll hit this weekend. They need to hit this weekend to give their pitching staff a boost. It actually kind of turned out to be the other way around. I am not sure the Sunday performance necessarily splashes waters on those concerns, but I'm also not – like, I don't fully know what to think. I still lean in the camp that they'll, oh. okay and they'll hit. But it's, it's certainly something that's, that's, a, that's an issue right now. I'm more concerned this weekend than whether I was last weekend. Um, because of the not, opponent, right? In terms sure. of the arms Kentucky had. But I guess, I guess what I'm – if you're going to give equal credit to, to Friday and Saturday, then you do have to count count Sunday. For sure. Um, I think the offense will be fine if, I, if, I'm, if I'm being totally honest. I think they won a pitcher's duel on Friday night. Um, and I think if you thought this offense was going to just blitzkrieg everyone on Friday night, then you're probably mistaken. Um, I don't know. It's look, was it a five game slump or was it a, a tale of something else? We'll see more this weekend, um, against Alabama. I, I think, I think I probably leaned on the side of it was a five game slump. Um, especially when you consider what happened on Sunday, it's just, I, you know, sometimes you go through things in baseball and, um, from, from a hitting perspective and, and, you know, you hopefully figure it out, but, uh, Almost, you know, puts up the 10 on Sunday and wins the game. I, I, I tend to think they're going to be the offense that we expect um, the rest of the year. I think so, too. But I'm less certain about it than I was maybe like three weeks ago. 
And on top of that as well, it just it, – I don't know. The one could, reliever Kentucky had that doesn't have terrible numbers that you would confuse their uh, ERA with the whip it's so high was the second kid they brought in. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Oh, Ryan Hagnow. He had had decent numbers at least, or at least kind of had decent swing and miss stuff, and he was the one that stifled um, them. Now, granted, look, the kid button behind him is pretty good, but Ole Miss didn't get a hit for three innings. I'm not sure it had a base runner for three innings when Hagnow was in. But at the same time, let's not act like it was like Chase Burns either. And Mason Hazelwood had been predominantly, I think, their midweek guy, and he gets them, you know, kind of settled into the game before they go to the Hagnow kid. But I guess my point being – they go two runs on five hits against a Friday version of what was a Johnny Holstaff in some ways. That's kind of concerning. Yeah, yeah, it is, and they didn't swing it well. That's that's for sure. Um, the the first two games, it's. But I, I guess what I'm saying is I I do wonder. This may sound stupid if Tennessee maybe beat their offense a few more times than you know how like a football yeah. team loses loses twice to to the same team. Yes. Um, I kind of wonder if that maybe played some into it, if they were still pressing and, um, you know, it, it just kind of happens. I, I, I have a hard time personally believing that an offense with Justin Bench, Tim Elko, um, and a Kevin Graham that's returning, a Hayden Leatherwood and Hayden Dunhurst, I have a hard time believing after last year that that offense um, for the duration of the season will be a bad offense. I, I think it is going to be an offense that – um, we look up and they're as elite, as elite as we expected them to be. And this five-game sample size is, is just one that you look back on and wonder what happened. I, I tend to be in that camp. And, the, and they're, again, it's worth mentioning they are without Kevin Graham. That's not make or breaking a lineup, but it is an important piece. He's the middle, middle part of the order on one of statistically what was one of the better offenses in college baseball for the last – year, year and a half or so. I'm with you on that one, but it was certainly concerning given who was throwing pitches to them um, and how Kentucky's pitching staff shook up, particularly with them losing their Friday guy for the year in the week before that. But I'm with you on that one. But doesn't it kind of exact, uh, underscore the Calvin Harris point? This team, Mike knew when he made the lineup card both days, this team had been struggling offensively. It, it makes it even more head-scratching that, you know, statistically from an average standpoint, the best hitter. I don't think Calvin Harris is the best hitter on the team. But when healthy, certainly has been a top four hitter on this team, is just not playing every day. That part baffles me. Yeah. We consider yeah. they struggle. They have struggled, I should say. Yeah. No, it's it's certainly something that, you know, you, you got to get your best hitters in the lineup, obviously, especially, you know, when you score two runs in the first two games against Kentucky. It, it's it's not, it's not you know, conducive to success to leave a guy like Calvin Harris on the bench for sure. Um, I don't know. It's uh, – I will say this. Ole Miss is – let's just – and I know you can't do this. Throw Tennessee out the window. Has – would you say that Ole Miss played well at Auburn and at Kentucky? Like, like when you look back at those series, would you say that overall they played well? Overall, yes. Overall, yes. I See, mean, both I, of them kind of featured a stinker in between. Well, what do you mean? Like, like in terms of – I guess I'm looking at it from more of a results standpoint. Do you disagree? You do say you that? think they played as good as Ole Miss could? No, I don't think that's happened yet. And they won two. Since, and, uh, honestly, you know what? The closest I felt it was UCF, weirdly enough. Yeah. And they won two road series, not playing as well as I think they can. Um, I guess my point is, like, I think this team's okay. Um, and I think they're going to swing it well enough at some point to, to be okay. I think it needs to happen this weekend, and I think it will happen this weekend. I think Ole Miss will get after an Alabama team that I don't think pitches it very well. Um 
and and they'll be the offense that they were expected to be. And um, it's early, and I know we make picks on Thursday, but I, I'll say this: I think Ole Miss sweeps next weekend. I do. Um, I think Ole Miss takes three. They 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 usually have some success against Alabama. They swept them last year in Tuscaloosa. I think it's a good matchup. Um, I think the offense that you ex- that we expect Ole Miss to be will will show up in Swayze next weekend. It'll be – yeah, I mean, the, the next two weeks of the schedule is we certainly kind of telling because, like, if they struggle offensively against Alabama and South Carolina and then they kind of look at the back, like, yeah, they could be in a, in a tough spot. So, I'm with you on that one. It's just the Harris part of it is certainly uh, certainly baffling to me. But, again, we'll see. And if you want to paint a picture, like, a, I guess a more rosier picture of it, the kid that Kentucky started on Sunday had been one of their better pitchers. He's been good. Yeah, he had been good in a in a uh, in a rotation that has been a mess. You know, he threw six innings. I can't remember if it was six or seven innings of shutout baseball in their win over Georgia last uh, last Sunday. And that's a Georgia team that just went and swept Florida. So the kid had been good, and they got to him the second time through the order. You know, the offense really awoke there in the uh, what inning was that? I guess it was the fifth, but really the fourth is when they really started applying the pressure on Kentucky. Because uh, I think you tweeted something about it after the first three innings. I was like this is not great. Like, this is shaping up to be a pretty horrific offensive weekend all around. Can they find a way to steal this game three to one is the way I was looking at it. And then the sixth inning happened. So, you know, give, you have to give them some credit for kind of solving the guy the second time through the order and kind of removing all doubt. Because, you know, once they left the fifth inning, I was pretty confident Ole Miss had the series in hand. And given the mess that their pitching staff had been, I think that's kind of saying something too. They were up 8-1. I was like, oh, this is over because of the way Jack Washburn was pitching and what they had left in the bullpen. So, you, you got to give them credit for that portion of it, but the first two games were not great. What did you think of it today? What did you see that was different? Um, well, I, I, so as someone that – and it's hard for me because I didn't watch a ton of the offense on Saturday when they did struggle. Um, I think they were helped some. Look, look, Ole Miss is never a team that is undisciplined at the plate. We can talk about a lot of different things, but I think Ole Miss is, is always going to be, especially under Mike Clement, a team that you look at and think they're pretty disciplined. I just think, frankly, I mean, when you look at last weekend, what Tennessee walked, like two people? Um, Ole Miss just got dominated in the strike zone, and, and I think maybe that happened some on Friday. And we could talk about, you know, whether what was it today, just weren't catching up to fastballs or whatever. I think Kentucky helped them because Kentucky was not able to throw – strikes consistently and stay ahead and counts and I know like no duh if someone stays behind the count they're gonna get popped um but for whatever reason it just didn't feel like that happened a lot on Friday and it and, and I don't I figure it didn't happen a lot on Saturday um but for for, for Sunday that the kid just kind of pitched behind in the count some and um you know that that's conducive to Ole Miss success for sure Ole Miss is a team that can they can run balls out of the yard run balls in gaps and, and they were able to do that on Saturday I think hit three home runs on Sunday excuse me um, but, you know, I, I just think Kentucky pitched behind in the count a lot more and Ole Miss was able to take a, a lot more advantage than, uh, than maybe what they did on Friday or Saturday. Tim Elko uttered the uh, – he got the umpire to – or not the umpire, good Lord, the announcer to do the uh, – the, he hit that ball. That ball was so well hit. When, as soon as it left his bat, the color guy who had declared the game of baseball dead the night prior just goes, uh-oh. Did you notice <laughs> that when he hit the guy? I didn't hear that. I started cracking up. I was actually driving at that time, and I had, like, the TV broadcast playing as, like, a pseudo radio. I was going down the street to pick up something. <laughs> you heard the bat. And, like, the audio is sometimes behind when you put it up to your car with your phone uh-huh. on those live stream broadcasts, and you heard it. And then when they did showed the replay on, the like, Twitter on social media, it was even more in sync. And it was literally you heard the clank, and the guy just goes, uh-oh. And that ball was <laughs> 400 
something beat. He destroyed that ball. Um, but, you know, talk about – if you want to, like, I guess find a positive note with his offense, the two guys that got a hit in every game this weekend were Tim Elko and Jacob Gonzalez. And Tim Elko yep. was really the lone bright spot last weekend. And so it's not a case of your best hitters not delivering in that sense. And so that's, I think, could serve as evidence to why this is probably fixable, probably just a slump. And it's going to help getting Kevin Graham back whenever that is. Yeah, definitely will help. You know, it's funny. They played nine games. And, you know, up until today, um, it just feels like Elko's not swung it well. But it, it's just not true. Um, he just hit a lot of home runs after the game was out of reach last weekend. That yes, they hey, kinda... yes, quite a few garbage time home runs. You were exactly right on that. Because I thought the same thing. And then I went and looked at his numbers in SEC play. And I was like, actually, he's been awesome. <laughs> yeah, he's like I'm looking at it now, he's got a 1.148 OPS in SEC That'll play. play. Now you'll, yeah, he'll take that. Um, so, so I'm kind of just wanting to go through here. Kemp Alderman, 986. Hayden Leatherwood. Um, well, Hayden Leatherwood's at 722. Um, Jake Gonzalez is at 981. Um, I would actually thought that would be higher, but he had one bad. He had a, two bad games in a row that skewed that. Because again, we're talking about nine games here, but continue. So I think – so here's here's the good news, right? Um, the guy that didn't have a good two weeks of SEC play that you were like, what was this guy okay? Um, TJ McCants has a good weekend. I think that's a really good sign for Ole Miss. Um, Justin Bench has a good weekend. I think that's a really good sign for Ole Miss. Obviously, the questions still remain around Peyton Chetney and, and Hayden Dunhurst. But I will say this. Hayden Dunhurst has, I believe, two hits and a walk today. Um, Maybe there's some guys that have, you know, been struggling but have SEC experience, have done it before. Um, maybe those guys are starting to come around because I think there would be more uh, belief than, than not that Hayden Dunhurst and a, and a T.J. McCants and, and to a smaller degree a Justin Bench are going to produce. Um, you know, Bench was actually okay last weekend against Tennessee, but I think I think Bench would probably tell you he's not had the, the SEC slate uh, up until this weekend that he probably wanted. And, and I think he was really good this weekend. So, um, you know, it's just a – I think it was a team-wide slump. And, and for Ole Miss's sake, they better hope that's what it is. And uh, I think we'll have more of an answer when Alabama rolls in here. I think they've faced, you know, a really good pitching staff in, in, in Tennessee, and maybe that just beat them twice um, as far as Friday and Saturday goes. But kind of really won't know that until uh, they play the three games against Alabama couple of random notes based off what you just said. Uh, Justin Bench hit a home run in the midweek game this week. Who didn't hit a home run against yeah. Alabama? That was his first home run of the season. Would mm-hmm. that have shocked you? Like, the, like I, I was floored to hear that. I was like, really? Because it's a guy always done his hit since the time he's gotten here. And I just – I don't know why. I just didn't notice the fact that he hit and hit a ball over the fence yet. He and Ben Van Cleef tied for the uh, tied for the same amount of home runs until yesterday, and they've certainly had very different seasons. I'll, uh, one more note on that. You know who he reminds me of is a much more talented, and I don't mean this as a slight to the other guy I'm about to mention, Will Golson. The dude just yeah. hits from the time he's gotten on campus and he can play everywhere. And he doesn't, he's not really like someone that sticks out while doing it either. But man, the versatility that a Justin Bench provides this team that's still trying to figure it out in some senses is really invaluable because they just stuck him at second base on uh, Saturday. We're like, all right, this is what we're doing today. Third base. No problem. Center field, no problem. He is a uh, quietly invaluable player for this team. So this is – yeah, you're exactly right, by the way. I mean, his ability to do whatever you need him to do is what kind of, you know, fixates your offense and allows you to do a lot of different things. But 
Here's what I'll say, and, and, and you know, when I'm talking about I think the offense will be okay. Um, I do not think Justin Bench will have a 647 conference OPS at the end of the year. Um, I do not think T.J. McCants will have a 654 conference OPS at the end of the year. I do not think Reagan Burford will have a 588 SEC OPS. I do not think Hayden Dunhurst will have a 674 OPS. And I do not think Peyton Chatnier will have a 405 SEC OPS. So when you ask me, like, do you think the offense will be okay? I, 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 yeah, because I don't think those numbers are sustainable for guys that I think can swing the bat pretty well at an SEC level. You'd convince me further. I was leaning that way anyway. But, yeah, I, I think that's well said, and you're right on that. Um, while we're on Justin Bench, a random note I wrote down from Friday, it's quite the adventure uh, the notepad gets sometimes when I'm watching a game by myself at home. We have an update. Do you remember the Justin Bench and who his father was scandal a couple years ago? Yeah. Was he Johnny? John? That'd Johnny be Johnny. Son. So we got an update, inadvertent update from the announcer on that because the whoever the old guy that declared baseball dead announcing was a former uh, major league player. Right. I think the guy might be a Hall of Famer. I can't remember who it was, but he's old. Oh. He's old. I don't mean this is a bad thing, but he he talked like a man that knows Johnny Bench, like the real Johnny Bench. He dropped an outstanding nugget. Johnny Bench, the real one, apparently has a son named Justin. Oh, okay. The whole, the whole mix-up at the time we had uh, – who's Justin Bench's father, uh, Gates, or whatever you want to call it. Well, it was, that, um, it was that Justin's dad was named John, too, just completely unrelated. Apparently, the real Johnny Bench has a son named Justin. And I don't want to Google it because if it's wrong, it's going to disappoint me. It's, it's going to disappoint you. So, Justin Bench's dad's name is actually John. Yes, that, that, that was the hang-up at the time. But the are, are you sure? Are you positive that it wasn't that John uh, that Johnny Bench had a son named Justin? Are you 100% positive? Ooh, I guess I don't know. With the, getting in the mind of the source of this problem would be an interesting proposition. But from what <laughs> I remember at the time, it was the fact that they were both – Justin Bench out. is a son of Johnny Bench. He had, No, it's a statement of fact. It's just uh, yeah. not yeah. the big red machine, Johnny Bench. But that blew my mind because it was that problem. And then that announcer just goes, you know, and Johnny Bench has a son named Justin. Small world. And I was like, you have no he, idea he, about it. You only know half of the story. Um, he does. Uh, he was born in 2006, okay. according to Wikipedia. Wait, the real Johnny Bench had a kid born in 06? Yeah. And 2010. Whoa. Okay. Well, <laughs> Johnny Bench is 74. What an absolute animal. Okay, anyway, we're, <laughs> we're diving off into Mary. We don't need to dive off into this podcast but uh well i thought that was a wild sequence and then i guess while we are here before we get this thing back on the johnny road, bench has been married four times oh okay that that actually seems that that adds up i mean you mentioned him having a kid in 06 in 2010 that that seems to uh that seems to check out that math checks out so maybe it wasn't the craziest of theory as we thought initially um before we bring this back oh on my the oh my god all right i'm sorry Johnny Bench has the uh, has the best quote that I have ever heard. Uh, I'm, re I'm I'm now in a Johnny Bench uh, Wikipedia loophole. Wow, After his season, his wife and him divorced, and he gave the quote. Now I'm done with two things I hate: baseball and you. Ooh, <laughs> probably not going to help the uh, some of the mediation on uh you know visit <laughs> child uh, how long you get the kid and all that. I, divorces are complicated. We could have a divorce corner another time. That's a dynamite quote. That's probably not going to help him though, or didn't help. You don't him. think that would went over well in court? I do not. I imagine one of the attorneys was like, "Hey man, I wish you probably hadn't said that. That would have been sweet. You just kept that one in the holster." But what an absolute dynamite of a quote there. 
I don't know if you caught this on oh, Friday, but uh, the announcer also declared the game of baseball dead. Um, yeah. He had the, sl- the slide play, which in real time, it didn't look – because it's hard to see from the angle of behind the base or in front of the base, like the normal TV angle when a guy slides into second base. I was like, ah. like I didn't even know what the call would be. I was like, why are they calling runners interference? This is kind of weird. And then they showed the side one down the first baseline, and the guy was literally 12 feet. Like, oh, he wasn't even close to the base. It didn't affect the play. Whatever you think of the call, the uh, gentleman in the, uh, in the analyst spot calling the game said, if that's an out, then we've lost a great game in baseball. So baseball is dead. It seemed kind of tone deaf that they continued the game after that. Considering the game was – the game had been killed. It was perfect uh, me too. It was right when they went to commercial, and he just goes, if that's an out, we've lost a once great game here in baseball. And I was like, wow, this guy's ready to call it quits. So, this is it for him. So, this put him over the edge. So as someone that has not seen the play, uh, did he slide on the outfield side of second or the infield slide side of second? Outfield side of second. So the man, like, uh, slid in center field, and that is what killed the American game. Yes, that is exactly what uh, killed baseball. <laughs> I have no idea actually how they were able to play the remaining uh, – the two remaining games after that and finished that one. But he declared baseball dead. To his credit, about an inning later, he looked at his partner and goes, did I get too emotional about that? <laughs> I was like – Yeah, buddy. Yeah, just, a little bit. Just slightly said. <laughs> that was a uh, funny note. Um, another thing for this weekend, I feel like we didn't – before we get to the uh, looking around the SEC and get out of here, um, Jack Washburn was really, really good to Yeah. Like in the storyline yeah. – in, in a weekend that was about – we thought was about pitching, but it ended up being kind of a variety of different things. We haven't talked about that enough. He was, uh, he was awesome. And, you know, Ole Miss was in a – the way they're performing the first three innings offensively, to him put up three zeros. When's the last time Ole Miss has gotten three consecutive zeros on a Sunday um, to start the game? He allowed – and he kept them tied. They weren't in an early hole. And then he never relented when they got the lead. He ends up going five innings, allows four uh, – excuse me, one earned run, Four hits, six strikeouts, two walks. Um, that's kind of what we were wondering, could he be? that? He certainly looked the part, and man, did it look different than a couple of the midweeks outing he has. That's a, I thought that was a really encouraging sign for Ole Miss. He was, was awesome and looked like a starter. He did. That's a really good way to put it for me is because I think the talk, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I believe the talk was they were trying to transition the kid from being a reliever to being a starter, and that took some effort. Um, he really did look like a starter. He was able to throw uh, three different pitches, really, um, into the strike zone. And and it's – wow, Arkansas. Um, he threw the changeup well. The slider was really good, and he threw fastball with some late life on it. It's uh, – look, it's a starter's repertoire, and, and he's a guy that Ole Miss was always going to have to count on this, this season. If Jack Washburn wasn't contributing for Ole Miss, um, but I didn't know how Ole Miss was going to win baseball games. So, um, no, he was really good. He was really, really good. And if if he is able to do that, um, assuming he stays on Sunday, he will be one of the better Sunday starters in this league. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think that's uh, unfair at all. And, look, again, it's one outing. But another reason that makes this pitching part of it encouraging, and I, I know I've said this a couple of times, Kentucky sucks – has sucked because they can't – and they're not a terrible team. You mentioned they had two – win two or three over TCU. They got a Georgia team – um, took two or three last week, and they're not terrible by any stretch. But the reason they are a middling club is because they kick it around in the field and they haven't pitched it well. It's actually a top four lineup, or excuse me, top five lineup in a shocking amount of statistical categories, particularly in league play, except for home runs. That team doesn't hit it over the fence of time. Um, I don't know what this weekend did to their home run total, but point being, you know, Washburn, it goes for all these guys. 
I think this matters and like you, this is more real maybe than just, oh, they took care of business against Kentucky because it's not a bad lineup at all. And uh, no. I, I think that's really uh, – I, I think that's an important thing to point out. But I'll ask – to actually form this rant into a question, out of the three guys that started, do you feel – how many of them do you feel confident will be there as a starter, let's say in June? Just – I know we only have one game sample size for all three, but based on this weekend – What's your confidence level in all three of being the starters in June? Um, I'll go 100%. Well, I'll go 90% on um, Dylan DeLucia. But just because I think he's got enough of a fall-off. Like, if he's not the Friday guy, I think they'll try him on Saturday and Sunday before they kick him out of the rotation. Yeah. Um, I'll go 75, maybe 70 on Washburn. Um, just because – I, I think they brought that kid to Ole Miss to start on the weekend, um, and and he had a really good outing today. I'll go I'll go seventy there, and I'll go fifty five maybe on Hunter Elliott. And it's not necessarily because of Hunter Elliott. It's just that man, if you start freshman, look, Doug was special, um, but if you start freshman too much, they they may hit a wall. So there may be a point in the season where he's he, you know has a couple of tough outings, and you know maybe someone shot on the midweeks and they get somebody else some action. Um, but I'll go, I'll go 90, 70, and 55. I'm basically in the same ballpark as you. That was kind of exactly what I had in mind when I just threw you that spitball of a question off the cuff there. I'm glad, like, you, you phrased that the way you did. And you went to what I was thought about the same way. I went to Delusia and Washburn first and then thought about Hunter Elliott third. And I'm kind of in the same boat. Sir, if you want to go 90% with Elliott, excuse me, 90% with Delusia, I'm about there. That seems fair, right? Nothing's a certain, my God, particularly with this team and this pitching staff. But I think they really did figure out something there. I'm the same way with you on Washburn. I think they brought Ole Miss, him to Ole Miss to start. They were going to have to replace starting pitching in the portal if they wanted to have a chance this year. That's why they brought him there. The Hunter Elliott yeah. thing I think is interesting. I would go – honestly, I would go like 25%. And I don't – that has nothing to do with Hunter Elliott or how he pitched this weekend. You mentioned the freshman aspect of it either. I say it has nothing to do. It doesn't have – it's not totally reliant just on this one outing. I just think they feel pretty good this weekend with two of their three guys um, because of the way Washburn and because of the way Delusia pitched, that he's going to keep an open mind about that middle spot. Like, if Hunter Elliott had gone seven and, you know, seven innings of shutout baseball where he allowed, like, two hits and just mowed Kentucky down, it would probably be a little different, as unfair as that seems after one start. But I think as Mike's going to continue to keep an open mind, and I think he probably looks at it today, um, that I feel pretty good about two, and I'm going to keep tweaking in that third spot because there are other options. Is there a world where Gaddis could start for this team? Sure. Is there a world where Brandon Johnson could start for this team? Sure. So I feel like that middle slot, there's so many, there's still many options, so I think he'll probably tinker with it some. But I think the point of the question and why I asked it was I think they feel pretty good about two of the three now, which is a place I'm not sure I thought they would be when they left Lexington. What do you think? Yeah, it's, uh, I think they feel comfortable with two. Like we said, they brought Jack Washburn here to start. Um, I'm not necessarily sure they brought Delucia here to start, but he, he's kind of taken over the reins in that role. And, and from a, a standpoint of he's the guy that's been extended the most and, and has pitched well in those extended outings. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's a weird situation, but I, I I am pretty confident in saying with, uh, you know, when they leave Lexington, I think Jack Washburn and I think this, I think for Ole Miss to be at their best, John 
or excuse me, uh, Dylan Delucia and, and Jack Washburn need to be in the rotation. I, I do think that is the path forward to Ole biggest chance of success. And now here's the thing, too. Um, and, look, it's a different league, and I get all of that. But if you remember, this team is – this, and, and let me preface it with this. This team is supposed to be elite offensively. And if they're not elite offensively, then I don't think they're going to uh, get as far as they want. But if this team is elite offensively, I, I challenge you to remember – the starters for Arizona last year. They weren't very good, but None they got the job done. And and that's kind of the the key. And I think Ole Miss has some guys that may be better than than Irvin and, and the kid that started on Friday that I can't recall his name. Um I, I guess my point is like you don't have to be great from a starting pitching perspective, but you've got to be able to figure out how to eat innings. Um and I think Ole Miss is is found two guys that may be able to do that. We talked a lot, too, about – and one note I just missed when we were talking about Delusia earlier, and Chase did a decent – I say decent. Chase did a good job of writing about this and pointing it out on Friday. Um, look, we talk about Washburn, like him looking like a starter, like you mentioned. There is, like I mention that so often because it matters. And one of the things with the Delusia side of it is he looked more in control and put together than anyone at Ole Miss has had on the mound from a starter standpoint. Like, I don't know. It just – Again, it's one outing I'd like to see against, you know, maybe a top, I don't know, one of the other top teams in the conference or something like that before I'll go overboard with it. But he just looked more controlled and more put together than Ole Miss has had on the mound at any point this season from a starter standpoint. Like, I hate doing this every time a new guy comes in and comparing him to Doug McKenzie. But, like, Doug McKenzie always looked like he was in complete control of the game and kind of had a plan. And I felt some of the same vibes just from a demeanor and body language standpoint from Dylan Delucia. And then I brought up the mindset part of it, too, to where, you know, he just kind of saved their ass in a game that they weren't hitting well and stabilized, at least in the short term, a rotation that was really in a bad way. And he's, like, not having any part of it um, in the dugout when dudes are coming up to congratulate him because he's pissed he lost the guy at 0-2 and couldn't complete the inning. I just think from a look standpoint, he looked very in control. And that was just a note I had missed earlier. Yeah, no, he was he was very in control, and, and he didn't let the moment get too big for him. Um, I'm interested to see him on Friday night in front of, you know, pro- presumably 9,000 people. Um, and, and I think you'll have the same result. Wow, State, no, yes, maybe. I don't know. State takes the lead. Yeah, um, it's uh It's interesting. I, I'll uh, I'll be really interested to see. If they can repl- – I think that's what's massive for Ole Miss, man. If they can replicate the set success – from, an, uh, from a pitching standpoint, I really think that starts to help your offense because I think, you know, you start to believe in some guys. Because let's be real, when, when Gunnar Hoagland took the mound last year, when Dunn Casey took the mound last year, they believed in those guys. And, and you know, look, you're always going to say the politically correct thing and you're always going to say, yeah, we believe in our guys. But it's, it's different when they're struggling, man. It is. Um, it's different when you're out in the field. You know, hey, when we come in, we got to score three here, uh, you know, to get back in this or to, you know, keep, give our pitching staff some breathing room. Um, if they can get guys solidified in some roles, then then I do think that that starts to help an offense that we both expect to be pretty good. Yep, I agree. I think that's well said as uh, as well. So for Ole Miss, just last couple of big picture thoughts. Um, did I miss anything? Did we miss any storylines? That's always like my biggest fear. We get on recording like, God damn it, I didn't talk about this. There's nothing else that really stuck out about this weekend, was it? No, nah, not to me. Um, you know, unless I missed something again. I didn't watch much on Saturday, but. Uh, Unless I missed something on Saturday, I, I think that pretty much covers it. It's a it's an important weekend. You talked about the the 
I think he tweeted something about the team, like it being a tough performance today and kind of showing some toughness. I won't agree with that. And that's something that we talked about um, after the Tennessee loss. And then you had the weird quote thing and then Brandon Johnson correcting them. It wasn't, I wasn't necessarily thinking they were soft, but there wasn't a whole lot of fight shown from Ole Miss last weekend. And then the quote thing made it seem like what's going on. Like your captain is saying you took the number one team in the country lightly. And uh, I mean, now really look at Tennessee I think this was a mental toughness series for Ole Miss, and I think that was kind of a box you can check. Like, they won a game where they didn't play particularly well on Friday and certainly didn't hit it well. You had a guy step up and just give you a absolute nails outing right when you needed it. They had a tough day in the middle where the game gets away from them late, and they respond by really just yeah. kicking down the door and removing all doubt and whatever cliche you want to use on Sunday. I thought from a big picture standpoint, this was important – I think this was a telling message about the mental toughness of this team. Mental toughness is not going to get you to Omaha, Nebraska on its own, but it's certainly needed to have in the process of doing it. And You're I not going to get there without it. Yeah, that, that's a great way to put it. You won't get there without it. And I think, I think they showed that this weekend because Kentucky's plenty good enough to have taken two of three from Ole Miss if it loafed around and didn't play well. If Ole Miss felt sorry for itself on Sunday, it would have got his teeth big in. Um, yeah, I did. Yeah. They would have felt sorry for themselves. They would have got their teeth kicked in. Um, I, I texted a, a group message of ours before the game. Um, it's kind of filled with baseball coaches that are Ole Miss fans. Um, and we pretty much all agreed. It was like, teams don't lose this game. Ole Miss is better than Kentucky. Um, teams that, that have a mental toughness problem do not lose this baseball game. They figure out a way to win and, and give Ole Miss a lot of credit they did. It could have been really easy to, to you know, feel sorry for yourself after last weekend. We didn't. Um, at all, and and that's a credit to them. It's a testament to them. I think. Look, there's a lot of things about Mike Bianco that, frankly, um, I don't like. Like you know, so, some of the lineup stuff or whatever, and you know, maybe some in, in-game decisions. But I think it would be extremely, extremely unfair to look at his 19 team, his 21 team, um, both of those teams, and, and question their mental toughness. You talk about the 19 team, um, you know, pretty much losing everything uh, that the you know, when they're in Knoxville and then, you know, figuring out the last part of the year how to host and that type of thing. And you look at the 21 team after it loses uh, Gunnar Hoagland, it's still able to, you know, it's able to go four and two in the SEC and get to Saturday the SEC tournament, win a regional and get to one game short of Omaha. Um, I think you do have to think that, you know, most teams Mike Bianco has are pretty mentally tough teams. Or I shouldn't say most, but the last two teams that, you know, played full seasons are pretty mentally tough teams. Um, and I think that showed again this weekend. Now, like you said, that doesn't get you to the College World Series. Just having some mental toughness doesn't get you to the College World Series. It doesn't. But um, like I said, too, you don't get there without it. So um, that was good good for Ole Miss fans and for the team itself to see that, you know, hey, they, they, this is a team that, you know, when things are tough, they'll bit their backs are against the wall. They'll come off. Because I'll be honest, um, it, you know, this game started at 12 o'clock at 11.55. This felt like a must-win game um, oh, yeah. for Ole Miss and what they wanted to do from a postseason standpoint. And you don't get to say at 5.30 p.m. that it wasn't a must-win game because they won it. They, they won a game that felt like a must-win game, and I think that is important. Absolutely. I agree with you because it's like well, – and I imagine there's someone out there thinking, well, I mean, it's early April. It's, it's like, yeah, well, you look at the rest of the schedule, you can't – like a, teams of that caliber, like – you know, talk, particularly with the pitching being uncertain, and I mentioned the sweeping aspect of it, where there's still some roles that they're going to need to kind of figure out on the mound if they want to have a chance to, like, sweep a series or two. You lose two out of three to Kentucky, you're really in a bad way. And, like, honestly, 
that's in terms of being in a hole, particularly with the second half of the season. Then on top of that, if they had lost two out of three, in what position would we, we be in to be talking about them as a host and all that after, you know, a really bad sample size, two out of three weekends. So it was an important swing game, and they were able to get it done. What makes Mike one of the most fascinating dudes, frustrating dudes to cover in this whole sport is the fact that he completely reinvents his pitching staff in a weekend that he deserves a ton of credit for. Very innovative. It worked in a way that, you know, most people didn't necessarily see in terms of a potential draw up to how to fix it, but he's not starting the kid that hits 572. Like I, I texted Chase the other day, was halfway jokingly. It's like, he doesn't make his layups. He solves a bunch of hard problems, but then the simple one right in front of his nose, it's like, why? Like I would just so, sit him down and get in front of him and just be like, hey, Mike. So, so Mike shoots why? 45% from three, but is like a 58% free throw shooter? Yes, exactly. That's actually a pretty good analogy where it's like, I, can someone explain this? How does this make sense? I really want to ask him on the Harris thing. Like just sit him down and be like, hey, man, why? Like you, you, you spent all this time and you, you concocted this plan that got you through a weekend with – a pretty good pitching performance. I don't have the starters' numbers, but I think the starters went like what? Um, let's see. I'll just do it right now. So that's yeah, like sixteen and two. Is that what it is? Yeah. So the nine and a third, and then nine and a third. Didn't Delucia go six point two? Yeah, six point one. Six point so, one. So two and fifteen point two. Yes. Or one. You said Elliot's was unearned? Yeah, both of Elliot's, it says right now, were unearned, is what uh, okay. so I And Delucia's was unearned? Yes. So they. So one and 15.2. That is correct. That'll hunt, don't you think? Yeah, let's see. What is that? One. Uh, yeah, uh, I think a .57 ERA from your starters, would they give you, uh, would we say, 15.2 innings? I think that will play. And five walks. I wanted to get to that earlier in the podcast. I just forgot yeah. to add up. But to bring it back to the mic point, he does all that. He figures that out of the abomination that was last weekend. It's like, why can't you just start the, the dude with the best batting average on the team? And I'm not even the biggest batting average guy. Like, let's, let's not reinvent the wheel here, Mike. Anyway, that's uh, – it's a mission accomplished. It's a good weekend for Ole Miss. An important weekend. And an important series coming up with Alabama that we'll get to later in the week. But let's look around the Southeastern Conference. We actually have one game still going. I think State – might be about to close it out against Arkansas. They need this one. What a uh, – this was a really surprising weekend on a lot of fronts. I don't really know where to start. Yeah. How about Georgia sweeping Florida? Yeah. Um, Florida reeling a little bit, right? Yeah. Uh, lose the series at home to LSU. Um, do you believe in karma, by the way? Just curious. Yes. Oh. Anyways, Florida, um, three you? and six in the SEC. Wait, what did I miss there? Oh, oh, you know. oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> just, just curious. You believe in karma? It's in here. That took me a second. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Yes, <laughs> Florida. Okay. Well, Florida's three and six in the SEC. Uh, yeah, struggling right now. Big series sweep for Georgia. Uh, they're now what six and three in SEC play. So the that dogs are uh, dogs are off to a pretty good start for sure. Vandy four and five. They get yeah. swept by Tennessee this weekend. So that's well, this at the top of the show. Like Vanderbilt, I'm going to call. What you say? I'm going to call Vanderbilt four and three and a half because I think losses to Tennessee should only count as half. I think that's a good rule to institute. Um, <laughs> we talked about that at the top of the show, though, and but just you know, it really is shaping up to where there's a, a lot of parity in this league. And like, look, I know Arkansas 
is what they're seven and one, and if State holds on, they're seven and two. But you're talking about Missouri and Kentucky to start. Credit to beating them. I don't mean that in that like in a in a discounting sense, but I'm not putting them in the same category as the team leading the other division. No, 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 no. It's no. really shaping up to be a you know a lot of parity in the league. And, and Tennessee. Then, and then Tennessee, and I can't say I would have thought that was the case going into into the year, but it kind of puts last week in a little, like, I guess last week makes slightly more sense. Not that it's acceptable by any means. So, but, uh, you want to know who's not incompetent? Missouri. Missouri. Missouri is not incompetent this year. Beezer actually does a pretty good job. Um, That's a tough gig, and they don't care about it. It is a very tough gig, and they will let you know they don't care about baseball. Yes, they will. Um, but he actually does a pretty good job. Uh, i tell you one that was surprising, uh, and you called it. Auburn goes to LSU and wins two. And I think that's when you look back on that Auburn series, it's starting to look like that's going to be a really good series win. They're not bad by any stretch. That's no. Not, they went to College Station and Baton Rouge the back-to-back weekends. I appreciate you giving me credit for that, but unfortunately I said I wanted to pick them, but they've been so uh, bad defensively I just can't in good conscience do it. I should have just gone with my gut, but I appreciate the, uh, the shout-out for it. But um, they are good. No, but you're right. On a serious note, they are, they're, they're pretty good. Um, that's a, uh, that's a puzzling start for LSU. They've lost both of their home series, but beat Florida on the road. And they lost both yeah. of their series to two teams you figure would finish at the bottom of the West. Yeah. Uh, I don't think Auburn's going to finish at the bottom of the West anymore. Um, I, Auburn's kind of good. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to say they're a host of region, but I, I think that team, I think we both maybe alluded to them as a back end three seed. I think that team's going to be pretty safely into the tournament. Um, Especially after these these two series wins, it's a it's a good win by them. Alabama's able to get two against A and M. A and M maybe not as good as we thought. Um, I think the blooms off the rose there a bit. I think that was a little smoke and mirrory. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think that's not really a good baseball team for sure. Um, Alabama, though, you know, got to give them some credit after last weekend where they could have frankly swept Mississippi State and blew it twice. Um, Pretty big series win for them. They're four and five on the year. I mean, I think that's a team that will find itself in a regional as well. That felt like that felt like a litmus test for them too. Because I remember when we were making the picks. Not that I spent a ton of time thinking about it, but I was like, you know, if Alabama is actually an NCAA tournament caliber team, you win this series at home. Yeah, yeah, and they did. So credit to them. And then South Carolina goes to the other Columbia. What a what a fascinating team they are. They lose. They they take two of three from Vanderbilt. Lose to Presbyterian in the midweek. And then they just went to Columbia, Missouri and lost two out of three. Um, so here's the thing with Carolina. And this is what scares me a little bit about Ole Miss. They're beat up right now from a pitching perspective, just not really healthy. Um, and, and I really hope that uh, all those kids get healthy in approximately uh, two weeks and one day. Um, because I, I, they can swing the bat pretty well. Uh, they just don't have the arms to kind of get it done right now. But when they get some guys back uh, – it's going to be a scary baseball team. Uh, yeah, I think they're pretty good as well. Um, then it looks like – oh, State finished it off. So, State avoids a sweep. Arkansas beat them up pretty good in the – They uh, had to – State had to get that one. They did. That felt important for them. And credit to them, they take it in extra innings. It literally just ended as we're recording this. Um, they uh, – this win aside, I know it's weird to, like, talk about it in that sense. They did beat Arkansas. But they have some front-end pitching issues, and they're – I'm not sure they're good. We've done the whole figured out thing, and they always do. And my thinking's changed when they, you know, they lose Simmons and uh, and Sims, right? Was it? Yeah. Yeah, Stone, Stone Simmons and Landon Sims. Um, 
I am not sure this is a figured out team. I'm not sure they're good. Um, put it like this: they have they have a schedule remaining that I think helps them. Like their next two weekends are at home um, against, I believe that's LSU and Auburn. Um, you know, so they, they can make some ground up there. But I feel like the next two weekends for Mississippi State are uh, are, are massive. I think they've got to win both of those series. And here's the deal for State, and and, it, and this might upset some people, but State was so bad in the non-conference, they set themselves back. Like, they lost to Northern Kentucky, who's not good. I don't think Long Beach State's very good. I can be incorrect on that. I know they just struggled when they left Starkville. Um, they, you know, they split with um, Texas Tech, and they lose the series to Tulane. Um, just not a very strong non-conference. So, they've got to make up some ground um, within the conference. And, and, and now they get LSU and Auburn. Um, but they still got to go to Oxford, I, and I get it. Ole Miss has lost the series five years in a row. They got to go to Missouri, which, you know, before the year we thought, oh, State will go to Missouri and win two easy. Not so sure. Um, Not no shot, but no chance it's an automatic is what I meant. And do you know who they finished the year with? Um, I do not. Who's the last team you want to finish your year with if you're State? Tennessee. And you're maybe – yeah, yeah. And you're maybe playing, you know – Get yourself solidified to be in the tournament or whatever. Uh, yeah, they got Tennessee the last weekend of the year. So, um, you know, that's what I'm saying. State's got, you know, they got LSU, they got Auburn, they got Ole Miss the next three weekends. State's got to figure out a way to win two of those, I think. Just because, and look, I get Ole Miss has the same record at four and five, but Ole Miss didn't hurt themselves really in the non conference like State did. So, um, State's got to make up some ground the next three weekends for sure. It's a fast. It is fascinating, and I, I, I don't know. Would you lean on if they're if I just said gun your head with an NCAA tournament team today? You go yes or no? I like maybe still slightly lean yes, but the I think I say that, yes because. But I will say this: if that game goes a different way in in, in extra innings, I think I'd say no. Just yeah. because I think the margin is is very very slim. Like I think they have to get to fifteen wins. You know, we've seen teams before get in at fourteen and sixteen. Um, but and I'll say this just from an overall college baseball standpoint, I think it's probably time to give some credence to the RPI. Um, I know you kind of ignore it early in the year. I think now is probably a decent time to look at it. And, and you know, state loses that game today, they're probably 95th in the RPI. Um, and that that doesn't you don't just overcome that in April. Uh, you got to win a lot of games. So, so I think state, you know, needs to, you know, they're what four and five. I think they need to finish 11 and 10. Um, and for whatever reason. 11 and 10 sounds a whole heck of a lot better than going 12 and 9 to get to 15 and 15. So I think, so I said that that was an important win for State to get in Fayetteville today. Yeah, that's well put. I uh, could not agree more. I did look it up though. You mentioned, I, you said, I don't think Northern Kentucky's good. They are 7 and 17 are the Norse since uh, that's their yeah. record now. For these so they have won six games since they left Starkville. So credit to them for that, I guess. <laughs> Sure, sure, sure. But yes, they but, you are not, know, not good. But the RPI, it's certainly, uh, certainly, yeah, no, it's, I think it starts becoming something to look at in, the, in April and in something really important by May. But you're right. I mean, we're almost two months into this thing. Um, we hit those other two. South Carolina was Missouri. What, which one am I missing here? Oh, no, we hit Georgia. all of them. Joe, Georgia, no, yeah, Georgia, Florida. Um, no, we hit all of them, I think. I don't think we yeah. missed one. We talk about the parity in the league. Now that State has won, the SEC West standings are Arkansas at 7-1, and one, Auburn is 5-4. The entire rest of the division is 4-5. 4-5, five. Five. yeah. The sense. East, Kentucky 9-0, Georgia 6-3, and three, 
Vanderbilt five and four, or four, excuse me, four and five. The last four teams in the East, the bottom four teams, are all three and six. So there's not, and particularly Missouri being scrappy. So there's Tennessee. I don't. Who's this? I'll put it. I'll talk, put it to you this way: second best team in the SEC, Arkansas. Today it's Arkansas. Yeah, I think so. Third. That's me. The third. Yeah, third. Who is it? I Ole don't Miss. know. I, I think it's Ole Miss. I think I lean that way too. And you're sitting like I'm imagining people, you know, particularly after last week, you're thinking, how can you say that? It's like, well, Vanderbilt's kind of reeling a bit. Yeah, like for, tell me who else it is. I'm all ears. Exactly. Well, I mean, I, I mean, the the candidates are Florida. No, they're three and six. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Auburn. I don't think that's yeah, okay. I'll listen to Auburn, but Ole Miss won two at Auburn. Exactly. Uh, um. I mean, I, I can't. I can't in good faith. But the only other one's LSU. I can't put Texas A&M out oh. of Emory State like that. That that that's the only other candidates for third best team in the SEC. No, it's it's Ole Miss. Well, um, Georgia. Okay. Yeah. No. No. That's, I, yeah, I'm still not I sure they're good. I'm. I'm. No, I'm not either. Not I'm not sure they but, are really good. I think that weekend. I'm not saying it was a fluke. They're six and three. Be obviously sweeping helps your standings. I am not sure how good they are. Yeah, but you do get credit for it. Oh, for um, sure, 100%. So, so yeah, I'll, I'll go Georgia. I think Georgia – look, now Georgia's got the dude on Friday night. and They got the best Friday night guy in the league, maybe outside of Barco, but he beat Barco this week. What about uh, Burns? Really... Who? Tennessee's Burns. Oh, oh. I guess he's a Saturday guy now because they got what's-his-face back, or will eventually. <laughs> yeah, Mike did well. Um, ooh, Cannon Burns is a good discussion. Um, that'll be interesting who gets pitcher of the year. Because Cannon's really, really good, too. Um, yeah, I guess it would be Burns. But still, I mean, they, they've got one of the few dudes on Friday night and with this league that doesn't have an abundance of them. Um, so, Georgia's kind of healthy. I think Georgia's a top 16 seed. I don't think they're a top eight seed. I'm probably in that neighborhood. So, I'll ask, you to, I'll ask you today, and, and I'll give my answer. If you had to pick, and this is – we just do this for fun. It's, it's, it, if we get it wrong, whatever. If you had to pick today – what is Ole Miss's seed the Monday after uh, Memorial Day? One through 16. I think we both think they're going to host. I do. I think right now it is back in dish. I'll go 13. You're going to 13? I was going to go 11, so that's about – Okay. It's, about, it's, it's just – it's kind of hard to think there may be a national seed right now just because I need to see this pitching. Now, I will say this. If this pitching solidifies itself, I think they will be a national seed. It's going to take me more than one weekend to kind of, kind of, you know, buy in for sure. Hundred percent. I think that's a perfect way to kind of uh, put a bow on this pod. He is Colin Brister, Rippy Wright's baseball correspondent. Um, I enjoyed the time. I appreciate the time, my man. I enjoyed it. We're uh, this is officially the thick of things. We'll be one weekend away from the halfway point of SEC play after next weekend. Like we're uh, we're fully in the mix. So I appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk to you again later this week. Sounds good, my man. All right, that is our show. I appreciate you guys making it to the end and making us a part of your day. Always enjoy the uh, Sunday baseball chats with Colin and glad we're, uh, we're back in the mix. You know, it felt like during the non-conference season, we were just kind of waiting and waiting to get into the actual full-fledged part of the season where you can actually talk about kind of concrete determinations. And I feel like we're entering that point as the Rebels are now three weekends into SEC play. We'll be back with something in the midweek then a mailbag Friday. So stay tuned. Thanks for making us a part of your day, and we will catch you here on Wednesday.